South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now. 210-599-5555. All right. Off to a good start on a beautiful Sunday morning out there. Only thing we're missing is rain. Still having these nice cool temperatures to start the day. Afternoon's warm, but yeah, not like it was for a long time, but... Lots of weird stuff going on out there, but it's time to get a new garden going. I don't know about you. I my fall my summer garden was just absolutely the pits. But fall is looking better and most of your nurserymen are gonna have everything you're looking for in the way of cool weather bedding plants. Starting to be time to put some of those good cool weather flowers out, petunias, dianthus, snapdragons, alyssum, even Johnny Jump Ups. Uh, Anyway, we have a lot to talk about. You know the number to talk, 210-599-5555. Three of those four lines are already occupied by Clint and James and Shirley, but uh, one left, and uh, we'll have another one available for you pretty soon. Yes, I did take the day off yesterday. We will... uh, Maybe talk about that a little bit more. Uh, participated in a charity event up in Bernie that was absolutely uh, hilarious, a lot of fun, and raised a heck of a lot of money for a really good cause. So, uh, But I'm here, live and local with you today, and look forward to visiting with you. Clint is first in line. Let's say good morning, Clint. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm off to a good start. It's a beautiful morning out there. Oh, Definitely. Got a whole bunch of questions for you regarding that compost tea. I've never done it before. Like I've been uh, prodding and poking you. Right. Um, I picked up a whole bunch of uh, compost, um, spread it out around my trees at first. Um, uh-huh. I always thought compost should be kind of damp, slightly moist. The stuff I got was really dry. Does that really matter? Well, yes and no. Moist is definitely better. Um because if uh, compost really, really gets dry, some of the microbes that are present in the compost, maybe up to half of them, don't have a resting state, so they're not there anymore. Uh, that's the bad news. The good news is that they're now estimating that, you know, a tablespoonful of good compost could have 15,000 different kinds of beneficial bacteria in there. So you lose half of them, you still got 7,500 different kinds of beneficial bacteria. So it's not that it's bad compost it's just not just not what i would call premium compost it's kind of the difference in hamburger and uh prime rib shall we say but uh uh you're going to get lots and lots of good microbial life even out of dry compost if it's well made okay now um how many gallons of compost tea per acre did you say they estimate somewhere between five and ten gallons per acre it's not it's not it's not one of these things that there's an exact amount and you know too little is still going to do you some good too much is certainly not going to hurt anything but i would look at your land if your land's in pretty good shape five gallons per acre if you say man this pasture really needs help i'd up it uh, 10 gallons an acre or since you've got the capacity to make even more than that uh you know, bump it up to however high you like. It's just uh, the more you put on, the more ulti- – well, I won't say the more benefits you're going to get, but the faster you're going to see the benefits. So uh, minimum of five, maximum, the sky's the limit. Okay. Yeah, I, my, my tank is a 200-gallon tank, so I'm going to be burning yep. about that much. Uh, the plant lab got my report back, and I'm really hurting on stuff, so I'll, I plan to go hard and heavy with it. Sure. Um Doing the while we're doing the tea, you had mentioned different products like liquid seaweed. How much would I put in there for a two hundred gallon batch, and would that be at the end? 
Um, no, because the only thing you really want to add at the end would be if you're going to add any mycorrhizal fungi because, you know, they can literally drown if they stay in there too long. But the purpose of the liquid seaweed, the hydrolyzed fish, the molasses, the other things that you may want to add is that they are what are going to provide the energy for those microbes to get into a high state of reproduction. So uh, especially on things like molasses, you don't want to overdo it because you don't want to get so much microbial life that your compost goes anaerobic. But um, uh, no, virtually everything except, uh, except mycorrhizal fungi should go in as you start the brewing process. Now, most of the time, you know, it's a two-step thing. The first step is to break the microbes out of the compost itself. And the way we usually do that is we put that bag of compost into the water, an air stone down in there, and bubble that hard for an hour or two just to get the highest number of microbes possible out of the compost and into the brewer. Um, but beyond that, uh, it's just a matter of... Uh, you know, giving it 24 to 48 hours of time to, to brew and bubble and increase the number of microbes, and then you're ready to go. Um, so how much uh, seaweed would you, and molasses and all those, would you save for a 200-gallon batch? 200-gallon batch. I would probably add about a gallon of liquid seaweed. Probably if you have hydrolyzed fish, I'd add about a gallon of that. Uh, molasses, I'd probably add uh, 200 gallons. I'd, I'd probably be adding about, uh, oh, between one and two quarts, up to half gallon of molasses. Okay. Now, um, now I'm also battling sticker burrs in a few spots. Um, how, how much, I think you said a humus or humate and folic acid? Yeah, and but I'll tell you what I would do if... The, the areas that you have your sticker burrs, uh, compost is going to do better than anything else. When you get through making your compost tea, that compost is not worn out. When you pull that bag back out of the tank and let your tea start brewing, take that compost that you put in there to provide the microbial source, spread that out anywhere you know, you're seeing um, sticker burrs. And then if you, if you want to add some humates and... Uh, <clears throat> You know, some fulvic acid, things like that. That's all well and good, but um, the very best thing ever for for eliminating sticker burrs, in my experience, has been just, you know, half an inch of compost over the area. This is over an acre-sized patch of uh, sticker burrs or better. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, in that case... Yeah, folic acid, uh, humic acid, uh, dry or liquid humates, probably by Medina. I would, what, how big an area are you going to spread your compost tea in general? Well, I'm going to do all, all my 10 acreage. Uh, okay. And heavily okay. around the trees because everything's really lacking according to that soil report. Sure. Well, brew your, brew your first big batch and do your whole 10 acres. Then brew a separate batch. Uh, that to which you add a bunch more of the humic acids and things and uh, put that, you know, make, make a separate batch and just put it on your acre where you've got your burrs a lot more heavily. And uh, I, I don't, I think you'd be overdoing it to add too much of that to your whole 10 acres. But I think that uh, brewing a, next time you brew a batch, brew a batch is specifically designed to go after the burrs, to go after that, uh, you know, the, the problems you have in that 
particular patch. They're, they're problems that are unique to that area. And uh, just really, really step it up with the uh, humates, uh, fulvic, uh, humic acids, things like that. Um, and uh, don't don't try to do your whole 10 acres. I think that'd be spending a lot of money you didn't spend. But I, I just do two patches. I do one for the for the the big picture, and then I do a smaller, more intense one for the small picture. Okay, for the other part. So then on that smaller batch, uh, I'm probably on like 20, 30 gallons. How much uh, humate would you think for that? Uh, liquid humates. Again, it, this is not a big, big stimulant, so you can go pretty heavy on it. I'd probably put a, for 30 gallons, I'd probably put a couple of quarts of uh, liquid humates in there. Okay, good deal. Now, uh, Noia said something about being deficient in borax, uh, boron. Is that 20 mule team borax? That's all the same thing, isn't it? I'd have to look at the label on it. Uh, boron is one of those things you only need a very, very small amount of. So you could give that a try. You could also get some of that micronized, some of the superfine powdered azomite. And, uh, of course, it's not going to dissolve, but the, the really, really fine powdered, you can you could dump in there uh, in your compost tea. It's not really going to affect the microbial life, and as long as you keep it agitated, uh, that's got all those. You need only a tiny amount of boron. You need only a tiny amount of copper. You need only a tiny amount of molybdenum and all those uh, other, they're called trace elements for a reason, or micronutrients. You only need a very small amount of them. And uh, sure, you could go with your uh, with your borax in the form of boric acid, or you can buy boric acid uh, um, in in the uh, uh, grocery store, uh, and any of that's going to do. But if I were doing it, I'd want to address pretty much all the micronutrient deficiencies at once, and I probably would do it with that that super fine powdered form of the azomite. Azomite. Yeah, he also mentioned a product called C90. It's full of micronutrients. Have you ever heard of that product? It's more of a that's, salt loaded and everything. Yeah, that's a new one to me. I'll have to look into it, but I'm I'm not familiar with that one. Good deal. All right, well, I sure appreciate your time. Well, it's always a pleasure talking to you. You get out and have a wonderful Sunday, Clint. Thanks for the call. <laughs> Thank Take you. Care. All right, goodbye. All right, let me do a quick break here, and then we'll talk to James and Shirley and move right on down the list. I get to talk to you for a moment about Rhonda's Nature's Way. And always, you know, there's always good news when I'm talking about Rhonda's Nature's Way because she does so many things to help so many people. And the Southside store is now open on Mondays once again. There was a period there where they just had staffing issues like everybody these days, and they just uh, they shut Sunday and Monday. But now you can visit either Rhonda's Monday through Saturday. They're always closed on Sunday. Uh, got church things to do on Sundays, but uh, Monday through Saturday, go see them. They are well stocked on all the things that will help you live better naturally. And I, she, she gives me so much reading material. Next thing I'm going to add on an experimental basis is going to be some red gin, ginseng. I already take a couple of uh, immune support formulas, and let me tell you, I think that's one that's kept me a lot healthier than a lot of people I know over the past couple of years. But Rhonda has the very best when it comes to vitamins, to supplements, 
do all the things that will simply help you live better naturally and help you get beyond problems like digestive issues or sleep issues or, heaven forbid, mood issues maybe. We don't want to admit that, but it does happen to a lot of us. Uh, and Rhonda's there to help you with all the information. She and her staff are extraordinarily well-trained. After all, they've been doing this for about 40 years. If you're working to lose some weight, she has some things that will help you lose that weight without feeling like you've given up everything that tastes good. And, of course, she does reflexology at the Northside store, Beamer and Red Light Therapy at both stores. It's just a neat, neat place to visit if you haven't done so. You know, you just shouldn't have to be running to the pharmacy for prescription medication for all those little issues. There are so many of them that can be solved naturally without the side effects the prescription medicine so often brings. Find out what I'm talking about. Go see either one of her stores. Not today. They're open Monday through Saturday. Southside stores on Southwest Military. Northside stores there in the shopping center at the corner of I-10 and Callahan. See Rhonda and her staff at Rhonda's Nature's Way. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Don tells me we've got a couple of open lines, so if you've been getting a busy signal, you know the number to dial, 210-599-5555. James is next in line. Good morning, James. Morning, Bob. Can you hear me? Good morning, sir. I hear you loud and clear. Oh, good. Got the phone charged up. Hey, I heard y'all talking about compost tea yesterday and this morning, and I'd just like to remind everybody that's listening that uh, Luke at Compost Tea Labs has got all the recipes and all the equipment a man would ever need for compost tea. And if you need a bubble snake for your big 200-and-something-gallon brewers, he can build one of those for you. Very good. I appreciate the reminder on that. And, um, yeah, people, I think more and more are realizing benefits of compost tea. And um, some folks uh, like um, uh, like Clint are, are starting to use it on bigger acreage. And, of course, that's what people like Betsy Ross up in Austin and several other people around the country, around the world, are using it widely in agriculture. It's still great for you and me and our our home gardens and everything else, but uh, it's one of those things I think people in agriculture are really waking up to is that uh, this is one of the best ways you can improve your soil, improve the life in the soil without spending a lot of money. And uh, it's, you know, so much cheaper than buying, you know, tons and tons of stuff to put out. It's just learning how to do it right. but they've got at Compost Tea Labs. They've got the different suggestions on recipes for making it, along he, with the Bob. He's got a recipe card that's a regular, like a same size as a sheet of paper. Okay, it's got plastic on both sides where you can uh-huh. take it out and you can't screw it up. <laughs> well, I think after the show today, I'm gonna I'm gonna get onto his website and see about learning a little bit more about what all they do. I know you've mentioned them. I just haven't haven't taken the opportunity to to look at them real thoroughly, but I'll certainly make certain that we do so. He grew a 500-pound pumpkin this year and said he had four or 500-pounders coming in. So, you know, uh, that's mighty bold talk. <laughs> well, he's not he's not in our part of the world, is he? I don't think anybody, I don't know anybody's ever grown a pumpkin that big down here in the hot south but uh i think uh, up in eureka california 
Yeah, yeah. You get up Northern California, you can get up in the Midwest, which is where most of these pumpkins you're seeing showing up in the grocery store are coming from. Those folks got a little bit different growing season, and uh, uh, our problem is just to get so blasted hot in the middle of the summer, and um, uh, so many of them just don't ever get up. I think Malcolm Beck once grew one that's close to 100 pounds, and I think that's that's about the biggest that I've ever seen around here. Have you seen anybody growing anything any bigger than that in this area? Oh, that's uh, that's a, a, a form of insanity that I don't participate <laughs> in. Well, I I think it I think I feel the same way, and I think we're wise to do so. Uh, how your how your fall vegetables coming? Um, the deer got in on the other farm, and I got uh, a lot of the Brussels sprouts. But we're working on that. the uh, The carrots are up. Remember, I'm advising everybody to use the pelletized carrot seed. Right, right. Well, they go through the planter really nice, and you can hand plant them and uh, machine plant them. They work real good. They well, have, don't have to thin that way. Well, uh, yeah, it, it the 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 better you plant your carrots, if you if you'll plant them correctly and get a pretty good germination on good seed from Johnny's, mm-hmm. then the thinning won't be necessary is what I try to preach but nobody ever listens to me well some of us do some of us do and um, what tell me again what your favorite varieties are for this area when it comes to carrots because we do get that question pretty often yeah yeah just just go on Johnny's catalog they've got Nancy's yeah that are really uh, really sweet and uh, and uh, probably Danvers yeah and then they have a yeah they've got the Danvers and then they've got a, a storage carrot which uh, would get, gets a lot sweeter in storage. It's uh, that's the only place I shop for carrot seed. Yeah, well, and the thing too that I tell people all the time is don't try to grow those big super long ones that you might get in out of California. But the the half longs, uh, the Danvers, the Nantes, the um, I'll be interested to see on this storage one. That sounds interesting. But uh, the shorter carrots uh, we really do well with and uh, can really, as far as nutrition, we can grow better a better carrot than the California guys can. If you want to grow carrots, just get uh, just double dig a, a four by eight bed and, and then you're you're ready to go. Uh, that's all the family needs. Oh yeah, <laughs> even if you like carrots a lot, four by eight bed. Well, God, I'd, uh, I'd have to put a pencil to it to figure out how many carrots you could produce out of that. But I know it's more than I could eat. It's a bunch, yeah. Um, yeah, I wanted to remind everybody about Compost Tea Labs. Luke's doing a real good job uh, running uh, running that outfit over there, and uh, they've got recipes for everybody and everything. And if you want to order. Um, uh, nutrients and products from him, that's fine. But he will build you a bubble snake for your 200-and-something gallon uh, uh, tea brewers. And he's got the compressors also. Very good. Very good. Well, as always, James, you're a wealth of information. You get out and have a good Sunday, and I will talk again sometime soon. Thanks, Bob. Thank you, sir. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, let's go on and visit with Shirley next. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. Good morning. Um, 
I am calling about my river fern beds. I have uh-huh. had river fern beds for years and years and years. This year, something is eating on them. I mean, it's not a deer or anything like that. It's some sort of an insect because the little uh, leafy things on the fronds are disappearing. Uh-huh. Okay. And Pro- I've never had Pro- that before. Well, probably it's one of these caterpillars. My guess it's a mainly night-feeding caterpillar called a woolly bear. And we're seeing more different caterpillars and more damage on plants than, we have, than we've ever seen before this summer. It's just, I don't know whether the weather's been such that it's taken out a lot of the natural controls on caterpillars or what it is. But um, uh, I would, you know, just use a, a good BT spray. I would add a little bit of molasses to it to make it even more effective. And, you know, don't spray all around. We, we're not out to kill every caterpillar. We certainly don't want to diminish our butterfly populations. But uh, on your on on your river fern, the, the woolly bear is going to be the most likely culprit. It does not make a pretty butterfly. It makes a moth. Uh, oh, it's not especially attractive, so don't feel guilty about spraying. But I'd, I'd spray your, your river fern with a BT with a little extra molasses, and I think you'll see the problem stops immediately, and yet it's totally safe for people and pets. Very good. I will do that. Next question. I'm trying to get these desert rose plants to grow. I've called you about it before. The lady I Uh bought them from said it doesn't need much water at all, and you never fertilize it except maybe once a year. Now, I think you told me something different. <laughs> if, so. if you if you want things to grow, they have to have nutrition. And the the thing about water with, you know, all plants, uh, desert rose included, is when they get watered, they want to be watered really thoroughly. That just goes across the board for every plant I can think of. The secret is don't water again until the soil has dried to the proper point. And the desert rose likes to dry out, maybe not all the way through the pot, but you want to let the soil on the top of the pot get good and dry before you water again. And they will survive even if you, you know, even if you abuse them, even if you keep them really, really dry. They have a you know, a fleshy stem and a sort of a bulbous growth at the base that lets them survive. But there's a big difference between surviving and thriving. And we want your desert rose to thrive. So we're going to water, I want to say the ones in our greenhouse get watered at least once a week. And again, using a good organic fertilizer, you're never going to hurt them. You're getting a lot better growth. You're going to get a lot better blooming. So at least once a month, and I probably would do it every two weeks, but at least once a month, I'd be using the Has to Grow Plant or the Medina Liquid Fish or one of those good products. And uh, it'll sure give you bigger, nicer plants and a lot more flowers. Well, I noticed that some of the little young leaves coming out are turning yellow. Is that lack of water? That's usually getting too dry between waterings. Yes, ma'am. Okay. That's good to know. I appreciate it. Well, I thank you very much. That'll do it for the day. 
Till the next well, time. <laughs> you know, I'll be here the next time. And, and do remember <laughs> that uh, because we are getting into cooler weather, that desert roves like it warm. They like it hot. They start shivering when we start getting down into the 50s. And we're already doing that in the hill country. So uh, it's getting pretty close to get them getting them inside for the winter months because uh, they might survive if it gets much colder, but they don't like it. And they're not going to grow well or bloom well. So... Uh, keep in mind that uh, they like the same temperatures we do. When it's time for us to, you know, turn on that heater, even if it's a very low setting, it's certainly time to have the desert rose inside in a sunny window. Okay. I thank you much. Have a good day. <laughs> you do the same. Thank you for the call. Okay. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, uh, I'm so pleased to be able to officially talk about the Tank Depot once again. They've been around. They, gosh, they've gone through some growing pains, I'm sure. But uh, they are right here in San Antonio, same place over there near the corner of Loop 410 and Rigsby Avenue, plus a location now in Dripping Springs and in Buda. And these are the folks that have all the tanks, all kinds of tanks. Here we've been talking about compost tea this morning. If you're looking for a good tank for brewing compost tea, Boy, you're going to find an immense selection of them over at the Tank Depot. Getting the rainwater catchment? I know it's not rained lately, but uh, I know a number of friends that are using their rainwater to water their gardens now and not paying saws, those high prices for water. At, uh, you get a good a good setup with uh, rainwater catchment. And by the way, they've got the accessories you need to get set up to do it right as well. Um, but you'll be amazed how much water you can collect, even from a small rain. Most roofs average about 3,000 square feet. Uh, you're going to get about 800 gallons per 1,000 square feet. That means that on an average roof, every time we get an inch of rain, you could be collecting over 2,000 gallons of rainwater. So it's really worthwhile, but you've got to have good tanks. And the Tank Depot has those. They have thick wall tanks that don't allow any light in, so you're not going to be worrying about growing algae inside. They can range delivery on their larger tanks. There's just so many things to tell you about the Tank Depot. They're open Monday through Friday, and uh, everything from bait tanks, open-top tanks, chemical storage tanks, septic tanks, rainwater catchment tanks. If it's a tank, you're going to find good quality tanks at the Tank Depot. Open Monday through Friday, and uh, anxious to see you at the Tank Depot. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. Uh, everybody's a little late getting up this morning. Maybe you maybe you got out and partied too hard yesterday. Maybe maybe you exhausted yourself at that grueling race uh, up in Bernie yesterday, which is a big joke that maybe I'll tell you about in a while. But uh, anyway, not not phone lines uh, are not full at this point. Gilbert's only person uh, I've got waiting to talk. So if you've been trying to get through and haven't been able to, you could be second in line. You know the number two ten five nine nine. 5555 and we say good morning Gilbert. Good morning. Good morning sir. Uh I just got a question on the uh, crepe myrtles. I got a couple of crepe myrtles in my front yard. Uh-huh. And one one of them the the leaves are real green and on the other one only half of the the leaves are are, are green and the other half are brown dead like burnt. Okay. Um, the areas that have the dry brown leaves, are, are the stem still supple if you were to scratch it with your fingernail? Or are you still finding green tissue, or are they just crispy and dead? No, they're, they're still green. 
Okay. It's this has just been a tough summer, even on crepe myrtles. And oddly enough, what sometimes happens is uh the roots on if you're standing there looking on your crepe myrtle, uh the roots on the left side of the plant really they they help the whole plant but most of their effort goes into helping the left side of the plant the roots on the right side of the plant same thing it's going to be helping mostly the limbs on the right side so sometimes we end up with uh, sort of an unequal distribution of roots uh, roots on one side may be a little less healthy or most crepe myrtles are buried too deeply in the ground uh, it may be that one side of that uh, of that trunk has more wet soil piled up against it. At this point, no need to panic about anything. Your crepe myrtle is going to drop every leaf for the winter months here pretty shortly. Yeah. So we just want to be sure that it's going to come out healthy next spring. Things that I would recommend are, first of all, be sure that that trunk is exposed. It's bare all the way down to where the roots start, the bigger roots start flaring out from the base. Um, the okay. part, you know, your whole crepe myrtle, but the whole thing will benefit. We don't want to get carried away and keep the soil so wet that we've driven all the oxygen out of it because that's going to be real bad for the plant in general. But if you would once or twice or ten times a day, if you would pick up your hose, put your thumb over the end of it, and just spray up and down over that whole crepe myrtle, it's got that smooth, very absorbent bark, and it's actually going to take more moisture in probably through the bark than it's taking up through the roots and that's going to help that's going to help keep it healthy and ready to really do well next year so you just you certainly don't want to keep the soil soggy wet you want to water really thoroughly when you water and don't rely on a sprinkler system to do that water with a hose and yeah, we water you, pretty deep deeply it's in padre island so it's a sand it's ah. not a sand Okay, <laughs> that explains a lot. You 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 need to water very very deeply because that water just keeps on going down there, and uh, you need to do it fairly often. The kind of summer we've had, you know, probably even a couple of times a week would be a good idea. But a um, okay. uh, little good fertilizer this fall, growing green by Medina, Texas Tea by Maestro. Uh, uh, premium lawn food by nature's creation those all you know they make them sound like they're good for grass which they are but they're also excellent for your crepe myrtles so uh at this point the only two things i'm going to tell you are be sure that roots flare is exposed and just whenever you think about it grab your hose and just spray up and down all the trunks and limbs and uh um, your crepe myrtle should do fine, should come out much stronger next spring, and hopefully it's going to be a little less intense summer, and you'll have flowers over a lot longer period of time. All right. All right, sir. Thank you. You have a good day. Well, you do the same. I appreciate the call, Gilbert. Thank you, sir. Goodbye. All right. Uh, let me take time to tell you just a couple of things about flowers out in the yard. Lots of the summertime flowers are really starting to fade. And uh, even the even a lot of the periwinkles, the uh, vincas, are, are not looking as good as they typically do in late summer and fall. And you may be thinking about what can I plant so that I'll have flowers all winter long. Well, let me tell you, it's too early for pansies. But there are a bunch of things that you can go ahead and set out. They're going to bloom beautifully through 
through the fall, grow through the winter, unless we get down to those single-digit temperatures. Uh, won't bloom as much during the winter, but uh, will certainly grow through the winter months and then bloom profusely next spring. That list of plants includes snapdragons, and remember they're little small ones that only grow six inches tall, and big old rocket types that can get uh, 36 inches tall. But all different kinds of snapdragons, all different kinds of dianthus, and there are some beautiful new dianthus varieties out there. Um, all the different varieties of petunias, and once again, golly, some of the new two-tones, some of the speckled ones. Petunias are just gorgeous, and you're going to get months, in a typical year, you're going to get months of flowers in the fall, and then an even longer period of bloom in the spring. So petunias can go out. Um, the I think you're probably okay now to plant the miniature pansies, not the big ones, because they don't get big faces on them or big flowers until the weather cools off. But the little ones we call Johnny Jump Ups or Violas, those guys we should be able to plant now, and uh, they are one one flower that is going to bloom all winter. The uh, snapdragons, the dianthus, uh, and the petunias, they're going to bloom in the fall, grow through the winter, and bloom again in the spring. But those little Johnny Jump Ups, they'll probably be in bloom every day between now and next summer. And uh, they can go out. Just don't, just don't be putting the big pansies in yet. And in the shade, it's, it's too early for cyclamen. You can plant ornamental kale and cabbage. And, of course, ornamental kale and cabbage can grow in the shade or in the sun. The colder it gets, the more colorful they will become. Nice thing, too, about ornamental kale and cabbage is those plants get big. It doesn't take nearly as many of them to uh, fill a flower bed. If you're working on a budget, be sure and mix at least some ornamental cabbage and kale in there because one of those plants will take up the same room where you'd have to plant six uh, of something else to try to cover the same area. So certainly time for ornamental kale and cabbage to go in as well. So don't be sitting there looking at a drab yard. Uh, if those things that you planted for the warm season are really looking kind of ugly, like a lot of the angelonia is, like some of the periwinkles are starting to be, go ahead and pull them out. Get that soil ready and put some color in because these things are going to bloom for you literally all through the fall. You have green foliage on many of them, except for the Johnny Jump Ups. They're going to continue to bloom throughout the fall and winter months. And... Uh, uh, you just don't need to have a drab yard. Now, I'll tell you when it's time for cyclamen. Cyclamen just don't take the heat as well, and they become very susceptible to a little tiny mite worse than a spider mite. It's called a cyclamen mite that is hard on the flowers and on the plants as well. I'll let you know when the weather is cool enough to plant your cyclamen, but I'm not recommending them quite yet. But uh, uh, other areas, you know, and you can also do the same thing. My gosh, I've seen some beautiful... Uh, hanging baskets of petunias lately uh, just don't have a drab landscape. There are lots of colorful things to plant out there. And over there in the vegetable garden, certainly time for plants of broccoli and cauliflower and cabbage and Brussels sprouts. Uh, James was mentioning he had an issue on his Brussels sprouts. That's the one crop you better get in early because it can take up to 100, a day, 100 days before it produces. Your broccoli and cauliflower are going to be producing for you in 45 to 55 days. But uh, anyway, get all those things planted. It's still a little early for spinach, in my opinion, but your other leafy greens, your bok choy, your chard, um, your different kales. I'll especially love the dino kale, as they call it, or Toscano kale. Uh, all your different lettuces, those can go in your vegetable garden now. So if you're sitting there thinking you don't have anything to do in the yard uh, today, think again. There are just an awful lot of things you certainly could be doing. 
All right. While you dial 210-599-5555, I'm going to talk for a moment about Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, which, as you know, is one of my favorite subjects. It's so funny. I was going out to my car here at Shades of Green uh, one day last week, and this guy drives up, and he says, I've been admiring your roof for years. Who put that on for you? Well, he got the full <laughs> he got the full dose of information. It's Southwest Metal Roofing Systems, the people who put on the best roof in the business, roofs that are so energy efficient, they're going to save you money every month. We get a nice discount on our insurance bill because they know that a Southwest Metal Roofing Systems roof is not going to require, you know, repair or maintenance or replacement. Gosh, we've had I've had the roof on my home up in Bernie for probably 20 years now here at shades green hadn't been quite that long but here our roof stood up to hail as big as baseballs without any damage if you're just tired of having to replace that roof over and over you'd like a roof that looks good and saves you money too well you need to talk to southwest metal roofing systems and you get so much other protection you get fire protection in more than one way and you get a good looking roof you got a lot of choices of colors and styles of metal you just need to give them a call to find out what all the options are. They also have a special going on right now, Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. And uh, I don't know how long this is going to go on, but right now you can get 10% off the contract price for your new roof, or you can get 24 months interest-free financing on it. The roofs are very reasonably priced to begin with. So lots of reasons to call, 210-822-6868. It's 210-822-6868 for Southwest Metal Roofing Systems. Beautiful Sunday morning out there. It's going to be Mark and Herb and Diane, and Mark is up first. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, sir. How are you doing? Off to a good start. How about you? Pretty good. I had a quick question. Um, I have this uh, Pedro walnut tree, and I'm okay. trying to figure out how I go about taking care of it. Basically, walnuts are well. They're they're closely related to pecans, and uh, the their needs are about the same. Uh, simply, is this a tree that's in the ground now, or a tree you're getting ready to plant? It's in the ground. It's been in the ground for about a month. Okay. Um, it like most other, and I consider that a newly planted tree. It'll actually hit take up to a couple of years before we can really say it's well established. But that tree is going to benefit. Um, just like the others, if you will, every chance you get, put your thumb over the end of the hose and just spray up and down the trunk of the limbs. Uh, just give it a good spraying of water. Because pecans and walnuts both are slow to develop a good root system. And when you're moistening, you know, the trunk and the limbs of the tree, the tree is absorbing a lot of moisture directly through the bark while it's working to get its roots established. As far as actual watering the tree, if you're anywhere in San Antonio area or the hill country, you want to water really thoroughly when you water, but you want to let it get dry at least an inch deep at the base of the tree. Uh, they, pecans and walnuts both, if they stay too wet, they'll really do poorly. So when you water them, flood them. But then don't water them again until that soil is dry about an inch deep. But uh, like I say, spraying down the top of the tree, you can do that 10 times a day without causing any problems. Um, as far as fertilizer, you can simply put the same dry organic products you put on your grass and trees and shrubs. Do that about four times a year. If you want to encourage a little bit faster growth, you could go to a liquid product uh, like the Hastergrow plant that we talk about. And you can do that as often as once a month. But uh, will walnuts uh, 
walnuts are not really susceptible to any particular diseases or insect problems um, when they get up big enough to really produce we can talk about you know putting out the uh, uh, trichogramma wasp uh, once or twice a year to keep all the little insects that want to get into the developing nut but as far as general care plenty of sun Water very thoroughly when you water, but then let it get dry to a proper point. But in the meantime, just just give it a little spray of water every chance you get. Does it have a taproot like a pecan tree, or is it? Uh, it has a root? it has a root system very similar to a pecan tree. Believe it or not, a pecan tree doesn't have a true taproot if you go by all the botanical definitions. But it has a kind of a big underground structure that is very much like a taproot. And your walnut's going to do the same. In fact, on, I believe, uh, years ago, and I have some of these on on my ranch, uh, you'll see a lot of times they actually used walnut as a rootstock and then grafted the pecan trees onto the walnuts. So um, walnuts will certainly do well here. The one that grows most profusely is uh, an old-fashioned one that has very little meat and an extremely hard nut that nobody but a squirrel would try to eat. But uh, in, in general, if you will treat your walnuts the same way you treat the pecans, keeping in mind it's going to take uh, a long time to really get that root system established, but uh, their growth is pretty much the same uh, and the care they need is pretty much the same. And I, I, I don't know if I've heard that they produce some kind of chemical that you can't really put plants underneath that tree or that's that's an old that's an old no it's not true it for many that i don't know where that story came from it is true that their leaves are high in tannic acid but in our old alkaline soils you know they will the the soil will love it maybe if you're up in the midwest where they're having problems with acid rain and things like that maybe the leaves are an issue up there but in good old sunny south texas no those leaves are great in your compost pile great as a mulch on your yard great any way you want to use them oh that's awesome that's great to hear okay well i appreciate all the information i appreciate the call mark you get out and have a wonderful sunday thank you sir you too all right uh let's next talk to herb good morning herb Hey, Bob, good morning. Good hey, morning, uh, sir. My wife and I, we bought a small ranch up in the hill country. Congratulations. Uh, built, built a barn dominium. Uh, we took out all our cedar trees. But after the snowmageddon that we had that spring, some of my oak trees started sprouts all up and down the trunk. Uh-huh. It's about, about 20%, you know, maybe 25% of all my oaks. And they all seem to be in a particular area. So I did cut them off. I sprayed the wounds, but they've all come back. Mm-hmm. The, sprout, the sprout. Is this something I'm going to be living with the rest of my life? <laughs> well, if you can tell me what the weather's going to do for the rest of our lives, <laughs> I can give you a better answer to that. It's what happens when the trees are really stressed. And my suspicion would be that this, and we call a group of oak trees sharing a common root system, we call that a mott. And my suspicion would be that the area where your trees are doing this is probably an area that has even shallower soil than the rest of the area does. And consequently, it's not just the snowmageddon and the severe cold, it's that pile of really bad drought on top of that and an intensely hot summer. Those trees are stressed, and that's what this... uh, 
bushy growth up and down the trunks and all is all about. Now, the, how do the tops of the trees, how does the principal canopy of the tree look? Oh, they look fine. Okay. Uh, oh. But uh, yeah, I'd, I'd like to clean them up for the sake of the grandkids to climb on and, and just for appearance sake. <laughs> Well, you can you can do that, and no harm in uh, um, you know in cleaning the trunks up. Do remember now that everywhere you've got a leaf on a tree, you've got a little sugar factory that's pouring good things back into the trunk of the tree. So, I and, and keep in mind that all this group of trees are sharing a common root system. So I probably would pick a handful of them and say, okay, have it your way. Uh, have a trashy trunk. And have some others, uh, the ones that are producing the fewest shoots to begin with, go ahead and trim those at will and turn them into good climbing kids. Uh, I climbed enough trees and fell out enough trees as a kid that I, I think it contributed to my growing up semi-normal at least. But um, it, it's uh, it, any tree that looks a little stressed, and I, I would never let those little limbs that are coming out, I'd never let them make major limbs. I go through, typically in the winter months, uh, every year and shorten them up, cut them back to where they're no more than four or five inches long because we don't want that tree developing scaffold limbs down that close to the ground. But I I would pick a few of them that are going to be your designated kid trees and go ahead and clean them completely. The others, I wouldn't worry about just taking every little growth off, but I'd certainly cut them back enough that they're not making major limbs. Make sense? And it's good to go, it's good to go ahead and spray paint those wounds after they've been cut off? With the prevalence of oak wilt, yes. Um, I, you know, they're, well, do it again. It doesn't have to be pruning paint. In fact, uh, just good old latex spray paint is just as good, and in many cases, many cases, probably better. What you're trying to do is stop that little beetle that feeds yeah. on sap that potentially could be carrying the spores for the oak wilt fungus. So, and, and the wounds are only infectable for a few days after you cut. So, uh, as that paint wears off, you certainly don't have to retreat or anything like that. Sounds like a plan. Go do it, and give me a call when you have more questions, Herb, and I'll be here to help. Diane, you're next. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. All right, back to gardening. Do have a couple of lines open, but we've got Diane and Jerry next in line to talk so uh, you just heard that number. Give me a call, 210-599-5555, while we say a good morning, Diane. <laughs> morning, Bob. Well, hey, good morning. Um, Mark, had to, he doesn't think he gets enough exercise around here working, you know, dawn till past <laughs> dark. So he went out for a little eight-mile run this morning. <laughs> So I heard your call for callers, and and I'm going to ask his question for him, if that's okay. Well, I'd, I'd rather hear your pleasant voice than his anytime, Diane. Just don't tell him I said so. I won't. I won't. He's still running. We oh, have he, he dealing... should have been in Bernie yesterday where we were helping out with the uh, – what we call the race for the rest of us. It is, it's a yeah. grueling half-K run that goes from one <laughs> brew pub to another brew pub. <laughs> it's just the biggest spoof in the world, but I think we raised over $40,000 for some good programs for kids. So, wow. anyway. Well, you know, our our racing days are over, but that sounds like one we could manage. <laughs> well, and just in case just in case you have a lapse in energy, there's a donut stand about halfway down there, <laughs> right. and you're sort of expected to have a beer at the beginning of the race 
juice and yeah. a beer at the end of the race. So it's just the biggest <laughs> spoof in the world. <laughs> I love but it. I love it. We'll, oh, I do we'll, too. We'll put that on our calendar for next year. <laughs> <laughs> That'll be great. But how can I help you garden-wise? Well, we're working on a new problem, um, bleeding canker in some old, old, huge post oaks up in our woods. Right. Um, and we, Mark has talked to our forest agent here. He's uh-huh. talked to David Vaughn. Right. He's talked to um, Dr. Apple at A&M. Right. I mean, he's, you know, he sent them pictures, everything, and everybody kind of has a different take on it. Um, but the what the bottom line is, there's not really much we can do. Some mm-hmm. of them are healed over. We think it's from the ice damage from 2021. Quite possible. And, and then the bark is cracked and, you know, if something's gotten in there and eaten the juicy part and then it's fermented and it's bleeding out. And anyway, uh, and some a couple people say the trees are going to live. A couple people say it's going to die. You know, we don't know. But we've seen some healed, uh, dried-up ones on other right. trees. It's right. mostly post oaks, but we also have found a couple live oaks. But here's our question. We've come down to – we've narrowed down all the things we're not going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we're we're not going to overwater it. There's We got some good rain, and it's not too dry. And actually, all this started after the rain, so – uh, we're not going to overwater it, but we sure. are watering it a little bit. Um, one of the suggestions that couldn't hurt was to put down compost. Okay, Correct. this is way up in the woods. One of the problem is soil compaction, where he's been driving his tractor, where we're clearing out all the damage from the ice storm and right. chipping up there. So we don't want, we can't really get to it very well. Um, other than wheel bearing through the woods, you know, compost, which we can get compost here. There's no problem. The sure. question is, is com- I suggested compost tea. I thought mm-hmm. that just to get the – we can get a hose up there. We can get a tank, you know, everything. Would compost tea be as good uh, an application as a, a light layer of compost to help the tree? Well, yes and no. Um, okay. Compost compost tea brings in a tremendous number, you know, un, un, uncountable number of beneficial microbes. And okay. that is the principal thing that you get out of compost tea. You're taking the, the beneficial microbes that are present in compost. You are giving them the opportunity to have the biggest orgy in the world and reproduce themselves thousands of times over. And the microbial life in the soil is certainly the single most important thing we have. Soil life is what makes for all other life. On the other hand, raw compost brings not only the microbial life, although, you know, it's somewhat smaller numbers. You're only getting billions instead of trillions or whatever. (laughs) But you're also getting, with the compost, you're getting humic acids, you're getting fulvic acids, you're getting all the benefits of uh, that compost brings, not to mention the actual organic material that compost provides. So right. um, compost tea is a great, great, great thing, and it is frequently used. I mean, Dr. Lane Ingham, whose company is called the Soil Food Web, I think she has offices on six continents where they help yeah. people in agriculture. So compost tea is a great thing, but 
you know, compost is how Mother Nature's been doing it for years, dropping those leaves, uh, right. dropping all the other things that come down. So um, if I were if I were fighting this problem, um, I probably would, you know, take a look at which trees need help the most. And with uh-huh. those, if I could get some compost around them as well as some compost tea, I think it would be great. Um, okay. Across the board, there's no such thing as too much compost tea. Everywhere you put it, it's going to help. It's going to help with the compaction. It's going to help with uh, beneficial soil life. Um, okay. And then, then you know, where the, where the patient is critical, so to speak, uh, if uh-huh. you can manage to get some actual compost up there, it would be good. Now, realize that post oaks are the wimps of the oak world. And oh, I know. While, while the symptoms showed up after the rain this problem started back with the snowmageddon two years ago right, and right. they've been fighting to recover been fighting to survive and nature just has not been very kindly it uh you know we had the the snow and the super super cold but then we had uh you know some pretty bitter cold the next year we've been in a drought that you know when you look at it in many areas i know you guys had some good rain but overall yeah. we're still we're still worse off than we were in 2011 which was our worst oh, yeah. single one year drought and then the intensity of the heat this summer it just right. um you know different trees are are going to show it i mean my pecans they're kind of just thumbing their nose and saying no you throw bringing the weather on it's not going to bother me but right. things like post oaks things like uh, cedar elms even the escarpment cherries which are generally among our best trees for the hill country they're they're stressed yeah. and that's what you're yeah. seeing and that's what this bacterial canker is and um in most cases, the oozing and things you see is, is not the result of having insects or things get in there. You have insects okay. that are going there to feed on some of the stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah, opportunists. But but you're looking yeah. basically at bacterial problems. I think you'd probably be okay if you ever wanted to spray some hydrogen peroxide around. That's certainly not going to hurt anything, and that's great antibacterial, even though the problem's deeper into the tree than you're ever going to get. But it may it may reduce the oozing shall we say would you now mark has those uh he does the oak wilt injection you know the Mm -hmm. um micro injection um and he has the injectors would it could you inject the hydrogen peroxide in those in the wounds with it yeah i'd I don't think you'd be advised to do that because okay. I think, you know, you don't want to kill out the, the good guys along with the right. bad guys. Where would you and apply the hydrogen peroxide? I just spray it on the trunks of the trees. Spray it on the trunks. Okay. Yep. Even though it's all that thick bark, it, it'll take some of it up? It most definitely will. Okay. And, you know, the problem with this injection, and I know Dave Apple thinks it's wonderful, but uh, I, in my opinion, he still has a lot to learn about you know, control yeah. of many diseases. And anytime yeah. you go poking a hole in a tree's root flare, in its roots or in its trunk, uh, that's that's like going in and, you know, having minor surgery for no reason when there's nothing right. to fix. We're going to go ahead and cut on you anyway. It just right. doesn't make sense. And that's so just a, that's just a last resort on some of the things we had to do. The, right. the uh, one of the things they suggested, you know, always is expose the root flare. Well, these are huge, huge yep. trees. The root flares have been exposed for years. In fact, yep. you know, it, it's it's just woods up there, mm-hmm. you know, with very when and rocks, and uh, it doesn't have anything piled around it. Yep. Um, would what about aeration? Would you, if you were able to do any aeration where you thought you had driven? Would it 
would it help? Or? Would it help? Would it be worth the effort? Those are two different yeah. things. Yeah. If you're going to aerify, you would be sure that you use what we call a core aerifier that actually right. pulls out the little plugs. I think okay. I think your compost tea and compost are the best natural aerifiers in the world. Right. And, uh, you know, I know Mark loves his tractor, but I can hardly <laughs> believe that, um, you know, that it has compacted things enough to necessarily really require aeration. It's one of those things that, yeah. sure, that would be nice, but I'd put it somewhere down the priority list. I'd, I'd look, and I'm sure you have looked at Howard's sick tree treatment on dirtdoctor.com. Right, right. We've, we've got all that, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the starting and, point. And I don't, the compaction is really just where he drives in towards the woods. It's not all the trees because he's yeah. really careful. He didn't drive. That's one of the reasons he's doing all this manual work. He won't let him come in with a skid steer and, you know, and, and clean out. He's doing it all by hand. Well, let me so. let me tell you something that really surprises most people. Uh, okay. Which do you think would cause the most compaction, a bulldozer or a big pickup truck? Um. I, I, I think I've heard you say a pickup truck. <laughs> well, and the answer is yes, because anything, and you know, skid steers sometimes are on their own tires, which are like a pickup truck, and sometimes they're on tracks. They're on, uh, you know, on, on treads, so to speak. When yeah. you have something that's running on treads, that spreads the weight of the vehicle, you know, over every square inch of that tread. When you've got right. a tractor, with two big tires and two little tires or, yeah. you know, a big pickup or whatever else, you've got that huge amount of weight pressing down in four very small areas. So yeah. when you look at soil compaction, that pickup truck or that skid steer is worse on it than a skid steer on, on treads or on tracks or, uh, you know, a okay. bulldozer. Yeah. And so, yeah. um, and, and most, I don't know what kind of skid steer he has, but Bobcat, most of the other brands, you can get, the tracks, which you have to use, of course, if you're working in a creek or anywhere that you can yeah. bog it down. So you're talking to someone yeah. who's bogged bobcat down <laughs> more than once before. But um, it, just keep in mind the how of it. And uh, having four wheels is a lot harder on the ground than having tracks. So if somebody's yeah. got a uh, somebody's got a, a skid steer or something like that, you know, yeah. on tracks, I wouldn't hesitate to let them get in there and use it. Yeah. Uh, but I sure wouldn't want anybody driving in there, you know, with anything really heavy. Yeah. And in the case of your tractor, you know, those little front tires aren't carrying all that much weight. Uh, right. You've got two big old tires that are doing the compaction, and that's hard on any kind of soil. So Yeah. The, you know, it's so heavily wooded that, you know, it's just... It's just almost he has to do it by hand. Sure. But he just he just keeps when he drives the tractor in, stays on the road. So, yeah. And I, I, think, I think that's good. Is, and and I hope if you don't have one, if you rent one. But uh, best thing you can do, whether it's storm damage or whether it's just the cedars you want to get rid of, chip them and leave them in place. That inch oh, or yeah. two or three of uh, mulch. He's got that, a big man's Vermeer. Uh, yep. 1250 whatever it is it's an old one from a rental company <laughs> okay <And laughs> yeah the difference we have the price of our house invested in that chipper <laughs> well what i'm what i'm saying the difference in the men and the boys is the price of the toys but yeah. um you know that that mulch is the best thing you can do to reduce compaction and if you've got three uh, or four inches of mulch down on the ground don't worry about driving on it you're you're driving yeah. on a cushion and uh uh, it's not going to be nearly as hard on the ground. So just yeah. don't haul that mulch off. Leave it in oh, place. No, don't no. pile it up against the trunks. But it's we've, it's there to help we'll you. We'll use it. Yeah, we've got and we've got plenty. And we, about 
30 more years of mulch out there. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. But, okay, well, I'll I'll let him know. Thank you so much and we'll put that race on our on our list next year. Yeah, it's it's the half K and it's sometimes <laughs> referred to as the race for the rest of us and uh it it's just such a fun spoof, but like I say when the first year they did this, I think this is the fourth year they've done it. Took a little break for COVID. Uh but yeah. uh, the funds were supporting a wonderful kids program called Blessings in a Backpack. And this oh. this organization's annual budget was like $10,000 or something, and the first year they did it, they raised like three times their annual budget, and it's just gone up from there. So it's it's fun to spoof some other people and at the same time serve yeah. a real good cause, and that's what I was oh, doing yesterday. Good. And so we'll, we'll look okay. forward to having you take part, uh, partly because of the um, the amount that the that the Dodging Duck and Cibolo Brewing Company put into it. Um, they, they limit official registrations, I think, to 400, and believe it or not this year and last year i think it sold out pretty wow. quickly so just just start looking for it early and we'll uh, try to get in early next year so we can come <laughs> down and and give you a, a good race that sounds like a good thing but <laughs> the, one, of the, one of the first rules is you're not allowed to run you can uh. only walk <laughs> Oh, you ought to see I the whole it. list of rules. I'll share it with you sometime, but it's okay. it's quite funny. So you have That's a good okay. day, and uh, tell Mark I said hi, but I always enjoy visiting with Diane. Thank you. Okay, thanks. Sure. Bye-bye. Go by. Let me take just one second while we're, while we're talking here about fun things. Um, coming up, of course, next weekend is the Herb Market. It's actually the 32nd, or 31st, rather, the 31st year we've done the uh, Herb Market, and... Um, uh, it's just a great deal, uh, and it'd be down at the Pearl as always. If you look on into the month of November, if you're into World War II vintage aircraft and things like that, uh, the they're not calling it the Commemorative Air Force instead of the Confederate Air Force, which it was for so many years, but they're having their big annual thing they call the Hangar Dance, and uh, I want to say that's on, like, November 5th. I'm pretty sure that's... Uh, Exactly right. It's up in San Marcos at the airfield there, and uh, you're right in there amongst all those vintage aircraft. And it's you can simply go to uh, uh, hangerfest.com, I believe, is uh, where you'll get all the information there. And the third thing is uh, the Green Spaces Alliance. Their Nature Fest comes up November 12th. It's out at Mission City Park, and it's uh, from nine until one. Another great event. Green Spaces Alliance does so many wonderful things in our area. So I'll be repeating this, uh, and I'll be broadcasting from the Herb Market next week. But uh, if you're looking for just fun things to do, the Hangar Dance on November 5th and the uh, uh, Nature Fest on November 12th, those are both going to be fun, fun events. Right now, I get to talk to you for a moment about... Uh, Oh, let's see here. What and who's in line next? Uh, and it looks like it's time for us to actually talk about uh, freeze miser. And I love talking about the freeze miser because this is the most remarkable little device I think I've seen in many, many years. I've been using them for three years now. And what the freeze miser is is something that protects your hydrants against freezing. Can even protect hoses up to 100 feet long. Can protect pipes. But it's a very simple device. There are no batteries, there are no wires, nothing to burn out. It's all based on some really interesting chemistry inside of this little device. You screw it on the hydrant and you turn the water on. You walk away from it. Nothing comes out unless the temperature inside the hydrant starts approaching freezing. Gets down to 37 degrees Fahrenheit, then the freeze miser automatically starts dripping that hydrant. As soon as it warms up, it stops dripping. So there's no huge water waste at all. 
and it is so much better than manually dripping your hydrants and never knowing how cold it's going to get, never knowing what's going to go wrong. I just put my freeze misers on at the in the fall every year, take them off in the spring. And like I say, we've been through three pretty tough winters, and the freeze misers have functioned absolutely perfectly. Now, if you still want to be able to use that hydrant, you simply put a Y connector on there, leave the side of the freeze miser turned on, turn the other side on and off as you need to with your hose. It can also be used on stock tanks water tanks. The Freeze Miser is a remarkable product. You're going to find it available at fine nurseries, fine hardware stores, uh, garden centers. Not going to find it in the box stores, but uh, you're going to find it at, uh, at people like good hardware stores and nurseries. You can also check them out and even order online at freezemiser.com. Smart way to protect your pipes in the winter is with the Freeze Miser. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. Jerry's up first, and it'll be Yolanda, and I believe that's Catherine after that. But, Jerry, good morning. Good morning, sir. Good morning. I got, I got two questions. Okay. I got a fig tree I planted in February. Mm-hmm. And... and it's is about four and a half foot tall, and okay. it's loaded with figs. Mine think tell me to cut them off. No, cut them off when they're ripe, and you can enjoy them. <laughs> uh, this late year, it ain't but oh, yeah. four and a half foot tall. Yeah, it, it's okay. uh, that fig. Figs are among our most productive fruit trees. They're among the easiest to grow. They're unfortunately the least cold hardy. Lots of them froze back, but you know my hundred-year-old fig tree came back even after six degrees year before last. So, main thing that yeah, figs. Well, I, I was trying to create more of uh, the base, you know. Yeah. But mm-hmm. if you. I'll leave them on there, Dan. They're about the size of a nickel. I didn't think they'd have time to mature. Well, a lot will depend on the weather, but you're not going to really gain much by cutting them off. So two things your figs really want, good layer of mulch on the ground, and they need plenty of water. They are one of the thirstiest plants out there. So uh, unless you've been (laughs) blessed, you've discovered that. I I, I knew that because I already lost two because I don't have no water out here on the place. Yeah, I know so the I feeling. Got, I got a 500-gallon tank in the back of my truck, and I go get it full of well water. And whenever it gets dry, I, I flood it. Well, and that's the right way to do it. And if you can do that, you'll your fig tree will do well, and you'll get a bountiful oh, crop it, of figs. It, it, it almost doubled in size this spring because I kept about I'm in deep sand, okay? Uh-huh. Right. I water it, then I water another tree, and the water's pretty gone there. Well, I mean, I'm in deep, deep sand. Yes, sir. So, well, um, it, but, uh, your fig will just get better, and um, whether or not those figs ripen, a lot's going to depend on how much more warm weather we have, but they're not taking that much away from the tree so i'd leave them and uh if you want to thin them out a little bit now you could do that and let the tree put all of its energy into ripening um a few less figs so that those will get bigger and will get better but go ahead it's four and a half foot tall they probably got 20 of them yeah well thin them out to where there are only about a dozen of them on there and hopefully you get a dozen good eating figs okay then i got one more question i got a mulberry tree it's three, four years old. 
Uh-huh. I don't think I haven't been watering it. So I got water going on right now out of the water tank. The green leaves have brown spots on them. Yeah. And uh, and then they turn yellow and fall off. I think it's because I haven't been watering it. I think it's because it's a mulberry tree. <laughs> mulberry trees, they just get in our area. Now, if you're in Houston, it'd be a different story. But mulberries in our area, by the middle of the summer, are usually developing those brown spots, developing a lot of yellow leaves. A lot of that's a fungus they call anthracnose. Doesn't really hurt the tree. But your mulberry is always going to have ugly foliage in the toward the end of the summer. Okay. So just don't worry about it. It's going to come out fine next spring. I'm, I'm I'm old, well, not that old. I'm 65, <laughs> but when I was 10 years old, we uh-huh. had mulberry trees around here, big, big. I climb yep. up in them and eat mulberries. <laughs> uh, I know they can grow here. Yes, sir, they can, and you just do your part to give them the moisture they need, and don't worry when the leaves start getting ugly this time of year because uh, that's pretty much the way a, a mulberry grows. All right. Thank you, sir. I just didn't know about the figs. I mean, yeah. uh, you know, I always told pick like peaches and stuff, pick the biggest part of them off. Yep. And, uh, you know, where it saves more of its energy for the rootstock, you know. Well, peaches are a whole different story and plums, and we'll talk about those another time. Yep. For your figs, just well, keep yeah, on. My, my, my stupid plum trees are blooming right now, but they ain't going to do nothing. But... <laughs> It's been a weird year. Thank you, sir. You're welcome, Jerry. Appreciate the call. Thank you. Goodbye. Thank you. My my pleasure. Goodbye. All right. Let me get a quick break in here, and Yolanda will be up next. I get to officially talk about the herb market that I was just mentioning earlier. It's next Saturday. I'll be broadcasting down there. You don't need to show up at 530 in the morning because it won't even be set up by then. The official hours are 9 to 1. If you want to come in a little early, nobody's going to object. But uh, all the programs start a little bit later. There will be uh, cooking demonstrations. There will be samples for you to take home. Uh, Because of COVID, you know, we can't sit there and hand out things like the way we used to. But if you want to learn how to cook, especially with this year's herb, the viola, um, those will be available. There will be herb experts there to answer all your questions about growing and using herbs. It's just always a fun event, and it's absolutely free to get in. Now, how much you spend on things, it may not be free to get out, but uh, be lots of vendors there, be lots of herbs for sale, and some usually some herb crafts there. And, of course, it's just the herb market will be just kind of right around the corner from the uh, farmer's market that happens on Saturdays down at the Pearl. So uh, free parking over there underneath the freeway, pretty much unlimited free parking, and just lots of other fun things to do. So if you're looking for a good event next Saturday morning, uh, like I say, official hours are 9 to 1 down at the Pearl. This is the 31st annual Herb Market. I'll be there early. Look forward to seeing you, and I think you'll really enjoy the event. Next Saturday, 9 to 1 at the Pearl, the 31st annual Herb Market. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, uh, back to gardening and back to the phone lines. going to be Yolanda, Catherine, and George. Yolanda is up first. Good morning. Yes, good morning, Bob. How are you today? I'm doing extremely well. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thank you so good. much. Yes, I have like maybe three little questions. Okay. Um, one is I bought a bag of um, mixed 
seeds that I was told to broadcast during the fall. Mm-hmm. So I guess my question is, is it still uh, within uh, the time frame to broadcast them, or, or it, am I too late? These are wildflower seeds? Wildflower, yes. Okay, yes, this is absolutely a good time to do it. The thing to remember about putting out wildflower seeds is you need to have good seed-to-soil contact. If you're throwing them Mm -hmm. on bare ground, just throw them out there. If you're in an area where you've got dead grass or a lot of mulch or anything like that, rake rake the stuff back so that when you throw the seed out, it's actually going to come into contact with the soil. Do that, water as you're able. Now, in this dry year, Some of those wildflowers are going to come up and be beautiful next spring. Some of them are going to lie there until we get a wetter year. But uh, the beauty of most of our Texas wildflowers is the seed can just lie there sometimes for years and years until the conditions are right for it to sprout and bloom. So unless we get more rain this fall, wildflowers are going to be a little bit disappointing next spring, I can tell you that. But uh, it is still a, a very good time to plant them, and the only thing you need to remember is just be sure that your your area is such that the seed can actually land on the ground and uh, mm-hmm. then you'll be have the best shot possible of having pretty wildflowers next year. Oh, excellent. Thank you. That's very helpful to me. Thank you, Bob. You're certainly My welcome. My is periwinkles. Uh, I have some periwinkles, and they're beautiful. They're still flowering like crazy. And I did harvest some of the seeds. So okay. um, when would I plant the periwinkle seeds? Normally, um, when it has warmed up in the spring, we don't plant real early because periwinkles, as you know, are a very hot weather plant. And chances mm-hmm. are, you know, you, you're going to have lots of seed come up on its own because I'm sure you couldn't harvest all the seeds. So no. I'd save your seed if you if you want to get them started somewhere else. We're going to have to watch the weather, but typically I'm going to tell you April is going to be the time to plant them in the spring. But uh, I certainly plan to be right here on KTSA talking about it next April. So uh, if you oh, remind yeah. me, I'll tell you when to plant them. But as soon as the soil is good and warm, if we plant them too early, they're very susceptible to a disease called phytophthora, which we don't want to have to deal with. But uh, wait till the soil oh. warms up. And periwinkles, some people call them vinca. Um, right. They're just one of our best, best summertime flowers. Mm-hmm. So if I were to take a cutting from the periwinkle and put it in a pot, um, would they be okay if I put them out when it's a little bit warmer, you know, during the winter, oh, yeah. then bring them in when it gets really cold? Would they you- survive? Yes, you can do that. Uh, it's it's a good deal of work, and you can't just you know stick your cutting directly in soil. But if you fill a pot with perlite, you can put several cuttings in there, and um, of course keep the perlite moist. You keep uh, keep the perlite warm. Propagating mat will certainly help with that. Give it lots of light. You can certainly start periwinkles from cuttings. You certainly can. Excellent. Okay, my last uh, question is: uh, We're getting ready to cut several cedar trees, you know, helping my son out on his property. Mm-hmm. Right. And um, some of those cedar trees are so close to oak trees. And uh-huh. there's one, like, it's wrapped around uh, one of his <laughs> oak trees. Sure. So um, when we cut, if we accidentally cut into the oak tree, mm-hmm. uh, would we uh, put paint on the, where we cut Absolutely. on the oak tree? Yeah, okay. absolutely. On red oaks and live oaks. Now, uh, on my ranch, I also have a lot of Lacey's oaks, and uh, 
you know, uh, there are other bur oaks, white oaks of different sorts mm -hmm. that uh, you don't have to paint. But live oaks and red oaks, which are almost certainly the trees that he has most of, yes, if you, uh, if you just mm -hmm. nick the bark, don't worry about mm -hmm. it. But if you actually cut down to where you're into the softwood of the tree, down to the green bark or the cambium layer underneath that, uh, yes, you would be very wise to uh, paint those wounds over. Okay, and then I think I've heard you say any type of paint is yeah. okay. You could use nail polish if you wanted to. You just have to seal uh -huh. that wound up. Yeah, seal it up for about 10 days. After that, it's dried to the point it's not infectable. Okay. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Bob. Those were my questions and good and, information for us always. Well, good questions as always. It's a pleasure to talk uh -huh. to you, Yolanda. Have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. You're welcome. Goodbye. Next in line is Catherine. Good morning, Catherine. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I have a, a good morning. We have a huge red oak tree that's, I mean, it's huge, but now I noticed that it's got black tar-like stuff coming out of the trunk of it in spots. Mm -hmm. And uh, that, is that, that going to die, or my tree going to die? Well, red oaks are wimps. They are not as tough and hardy as live oaks. And mm -hmm. they we're still seeing damage that happened to the red oaks back in the big freeze two years ago. And when the trees get stressed, they get this kind of a bacterial infection called wet wood. Uh, actually, there are several different ones. And um, how big in diameter are the trunks of your red oaks? Or how big is a, is a tree you're seeing this on? How big in diameter is the trunk? It is. It's huge. I'm going to say, oh, my gosh, I'm going to say at least five feet around. Well, okay. Well, there's, you know, any anything that's alive can die. And this disease is stressful for the trees, but uh, probably 90% of the trees will recover from it. You may have heard a caller two or three calls back that having a lot of the same thing on post oaks up in the hill country. I walk around my ranch, and I see some of the red oaks are affected, some aren't. So do do anything you can to alleviate the stress. Now, don't get carried away with watering, because we actually do, we damage red oaks by keeping them too wet, uh, trying yeah. to make up for the drought. So when you water, water very, very, very thoroughly. But that red oak probably doesn't need water more than once a month. Uh, check oh. the base. Be sure that the you know that the trunk is exposed. You should have a beautiful root flare on a red oak that size. Yeah, and if any, yeah, we do have one. Okay. Uh, beyond that, if you want to put a sprinkle a little cornmeal around, you certainly can. That will take care of any fungus issues that may be originating in the soil. If you want to put some beneficial compounds like azomite or a little good organic fertilizer. All those things are going to help your tree. But what you're looking at is just the result of stress. And, you know, every tree out there is is has suffered from stress this summer. And red oaks, they're just kind of at the top of the list. Uh, uh, not quite as bad as post oaks, but they're of the hardy hill country trees. Red oaks are much more of a wimp than the live oaks are. So uh, just do everything you can as far as support with fertilizer, with appropriate watering, and chances are your tree will recover. But don't let anybody come out and want to, you know, sell you $1,000 worth of chemicals or anything else because that's simply not going to help. Just good care to reduce the stress is the best thing you can do for it. And most of the, of the red oaks we would expect to recover. 
Now, uh, what kind of, where do I get the cornmeal if I decide to put that on there? Any good nursery or any good feed store. What you're looking for is cheap. You just want to be sure it's whole ground cornmeal. Don't mm-hmm. get the baking stuff from the grocery store because they've actually taken most of the goodness out of the cornmeal uh, just yeah. so it makes bakes better. But um, any, you know, any any feed store, any good nursery, um, just uh, that that's all you need. You don't have to get any fancy cornmeal. And just a tree the size you're describing, I'd probably put 10 or 20 pounds of it, just kind of spread it out. Oh, from the trunk, you know, maybe 15, 20 feet out from the trunk in all directions. Just scatter it out. If you prefer to, or if you're in an area where you have problem with wild hogs and lots of deer, you could actually soak two, three cups of water in a five-gallon bucket and just pour that water around. Do several buckets for a tree that big. But uh, if you think putting dry cornmeal out will be too attractive to other critters, then uh, make your what we call your corn water tea, and it will do just about the same thing. Okay, that sounds great. And uh, there's another question I had. We have a fiddly fig that it's really tall. It's probably about five feet tall, and uh-huh. it only has one, like one trunk, and it goes up. And I'm so afraid that it's going to topple over. Can I cut <laughs> that back? <laughs> well, you can, but uh, it would be better if you did it in the spring rather than in the fall. And mm-hmm. If it were mine, what I would do, and, and five feet isn't great big. That that fiddly fig wants to grow 25 feet tall. It, it makes a big yeah. plant in nature. But you can look up something called an air layer, A-I-R-L-A-Y-E-R. And oh, it's, a te- okay. it's a technique whereby you shave a little bit of bark off the side, you wrap a handful of moist sphagnum moss around it, and then wrap it up with plastic or aluminum foil, and over a period of about six weeks or so, the fiddly fig actually starts putting roots out into the sphagnum moss. And then once you peel back the foil and find there are some pretty good roots there, you can cut off the tree, which is what you want to do to encourage branching. But you've got a pre-rooted cutting. You can pot up the pot you, the top part that you took off and have a whole new plant. If you just cut it, that cutting's probably not going to root. You might as well throw it away. But uh, oh, if you I air think. layer it, you know, you get a you get a free plant out of the deal. I, I've seen that before. I've seen oh. how they air air layer the plants. So that but, sounds great. Oh. But it would be better in the spring than now. If you yeah. have to cut it back now, you can. But we're going into the time of year where obviously the days are getting much shorter. The lights are much less in the light is much less intense. And the plant is much more likely to branch and put on additional side shoots and all if you wait until uh-huh. spring when the days are getting yeah. longer instead of shorter. I'll do that then. And um, I, I'm, I'm having to prop it up right now. I'm afraid I'm going to hear it crash in the night <laughs> one day. But <laughs> well, be prop okay. it. Yeah, prop it up or put a stake in it or whatever else. Just remember, fiddly figs want super, super, super bright light. Uh, there's oh, okay. If you have it inside have your it home. By, yes, I have it by a window. I'll have it right in front of the window, and you yes. will never, ever give it too much light inside. Now, outside, you don't want to give it to the hot afternoon sun, but morning sun is great. But inside, the sunniest wind in, window in your home is going to be the place that fiddle leaf wants to grow. Okay, that sounds great, Bob. I appreciate everything that you've told me this morning. I appreciate your call this morning, Catherine. You enjoy a wonderful Sunday, and we'll talk again. Thank you. 
You too. You're welcome. Thank you. Right. Bye. Bye-bye. Goodbye. All right. Uh, George is next in line, but I've got to get a break in here. And once again, I get to talk about the Tank Depot. And I just, again, I enjoy talking about good people. And the Tank Depot, well, one of those places where you can find quality tanks. And you say, well, what am I going to need a tank for? Well, you never know. Uh, they, they have all kinds of tanks, from small tanks, uh, rainwater catchment tanks, from very small to very, very large, and all the supporting equipment you need to really get into rainwater catchment properly. They've got chemical storage tanks. They've got open-top bait tanks. Uh, they have tanks with up to a 10-year warranty on them. They have thick-wall tanks that will not allow any light inside. It's very important on rainwater tanks because you don't want to get algae growing inside your tanks. And bigger tanks, yes, they can deliver those to you. They're just sort of a, a full-service company when it comes to tanks. Open Monday through Friday. They have three locations. Uh, The one here in San Antonio has been here quite a while now. Uh, Over on Southeast Loop 410 uh, near the corner of Rigsby Avenue. That's where you find our local tank depot location. Also locations up in Dripping Springs and in Buda. Our local one, if you want to give them a call and find out more, don't do it today. They're open Monday through Friday. But those days you can call 210-648-3866. That's 210-648-3866. 3866. If you need a tank, the place you need to check out is the Tank Depot. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening. The lineup looks like George and Hank and Robbie. Let's get started with George. Good morning, George. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Uh, it's just a beautiful day out there. Looking forward to another great Sunday. Say, do maple trees get oak wilt? No. No, maple trees are... Oak wilt is a vascular fungus, and the only trees that it normally kills are red oaks and live oaks. Technically, any kind of oak could get oak wilt, but it's not normally a... Uh, a problem for things, but elms and maples and, uh, oh, you know, hickories and pecans, those things simply, the fungus can't affect them in a bad way. So you never have to worry about oak wilt on a maple tree. Well, I was, I was curious. I've got some oaks right around it, and uh, I noticed that some spots in the, in the maple tree uh, that the Leaves had turned brown on it. Yeah. And uh, then I've got some oak trees that are around it that, that have more of the same thing. And uh-huh. I was trying to figure out if it was oak wilt or whether it was just these, that maple tree and maybe uh, these oaks that are showing that. Maybe it was just a water situation. Well, it's a water situation. It's a heat situation. Um, that's brown leaves are not symptomatic of oak wilt. If you if you have oak wilt, the main actual leaf symptom you will see is when you look at that green leaf, the veins in the leaf will be starting to turn yellow and brown and starting to deteriorate. It was called venal necrosis. But just having a clump of brown leaves here and there. That's strictly drought damage, and uh, I see that on live oaks on my ranch, and uh, you'll certainly see it on even elm trees. You'll see it on maples, but that is not a disease. That is so stress. Okay, but the but the if I look at the leaves that are starting to turn brown, they're going to have these other characteristics to them, right? 
if it is Oakville, yes, it would be. Now, what we call, um, uh, oh, you know, iron deficiencies, chlorosis, on those, the vein will remain dark colored and the rest of the tissue around it will be yellow. Uh, in the case of oak wilt, it's exactly the opposite. The tissue around will look healthy, but the veins will start turning yellow and then reddish and then brown, and ultimately the leaves fall off. And oak wilt is one of the few things that will, will cause that. Now, there are other things. A lightning strike will sometimes cause leaves to do that. But um, just, just browning in clumps, uh, that is not definitive for oak wilt. Right. Okay. Well... I'm going to take the lift at the leaves when I get home and see what they look like. And then probably I'll pick up the mulch and put around those trees and, and start start watering them. So. Well, they will certainly benefit from the mulch. Keep the mulch back away from the trunk, but over the roots of the right. trees. And uh, just remember, right. when you water, water thoroughly, but don't water too often. Don't water again until that soil is good and dry. Newly planted trees will require more frequent watering, but uh, big old established trees, no. You'll do more damage than good if you, if you get too carried away and water too often. But when you do water, that's you want to water very, very thoroughly when you do the water. How? Water put, what, two or three inches of mulch around them? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. A couple yeah. of inches. Uh, yeah, you know, think about what Mother Nature does. Mother Nature puts two or three inches of leaves on the surface of the soil every year, so... Uh, uh, that's what you want to do, and any good mulch, any good compost or living mulch, all those things will be great. Okay, great. Well, thank you for your, for your information. As always, I've listened to you for years and enjoy you and listen to you every week. So, well, I you appreciate it, Jay. And I hope you do as well, sir. It is going to be a pretty day out there. It is a pretty day out there. Uh, less than a minute till news time here, so uh, Hank and Robbie will will get you guys right after the news break uh so many things to talk about so much gardening to do time for those cool weather flowers out there petunias dianthus snapdragons alyssum johnny jump ups ornamental kale and cabbage too early for the big pansies we got to cool off substantially more there over in that vegetable garden great time for broccoli cauliflower cabbage lettuces chard Oh, kale, all those things, it's time to get them in. Root crops like radishes and beets and carrots and turnips, you can certainly plant them. Too early on spinach, but just about everything else uh, you can plant. Some of them you probably ought to plant from plants like the coal family crops. Some of them you ought to plant from seed like all the root crops. The others, you have your choice. Either, either start with plants or plant seed. We're also moving into the best time of year for landscape work of all sorts. Now, Make your own decision. Take a look at what you think the water situation is going to be because uh, we don't have any big prospect for rain anytime soon. But uh, typically, October, November, best time of year to plant. Right back after news here on KTSA Radio, San Antonio, Texas. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster is on the air. Talk to Bob now, 210-599-5555. The gardening on a beautiful Sunday morning out there. You're not going to need those long sleeves for very long because it's warming up quickly as it does. But golly, it's a beautiful morning. Don't know if you got up early enough to see the moon. Oh my gosh, be sure you see it tonight. I uh, don't know if it's full last night or tonight. I think tonight is the full moon, but it's going to be spectacular. Only negative is with all the moonlight, you can't see the meteor shower that's going on out there as well. But uh, 
anyway, beautiful time of year and a beautiful place to be living. Uh, looks like we're going to talk to uh, Hank and Robbie and Sarah. Hank is up first. Good morning, Hank. Good morning, Bob. Beautiful Sunday. I know you're enjoying it. Yes, it, it is. <laughs> I always enjoy it. I, I, I look forward to getting out in it. Right now, I'm just uh, sitting here, but fortunately, I've got big windows and fresh air and uh, an absolutely gorgeous view. They asked me if I wanted to come back and broadcast from the station a while back, and I said, come here and look out this window. You really think I want to come back to a <laughs> sterile old studio? <laughs> so anyway, life's good. Yes, sir. I have a question. I have a roll of primrose jasmine that I planted roughly. Roughly three years ago or so. Okay. Uh, they're doing good. They're they're growing probably. I, I expected them to grow a lot faster, but they'll pay maybe six inches a year or so. Anyway, my biggest one, uh, I guess one of the first ones I planted, is just kind of shriveling them up, and actually three-quarters of them is dying. Probably need to water Everybody more. Everybody else is fine. Yeah, yep. I, I have watered them very, very well. Well, water them really, really thoroughly whenever they're dry on the surface. Uh, have you fertilized? What have you used, and how often? No, I haven't really fertilized. I I, I was there for a while, but <laughs> has to grow. <laughs> but yeah, the yeah the the dry fertilizers are don't work quite as quickly, but they last a whole lot longer. If you're using a good liquid, and has grows great liquid, but you got to use it every few weeks. Um, okay. The dry granular stuff, you can use it three or four times a year. But uh, it sounds to me like your plants are just hungry because primrose jasmine ought to be trying to take over the world. It's it's one of those plants, I say, give it an inch and it'll take a yard, your yard, because it tends to put out, you know, the, the long limbs. And then where they touch the ground, they take root and then they jump outward again. So uh, you don't have to water real often. Uh, once they're established, you probably water once a month. Newer plants, I do it more often. But I next time you buy a good nursery, pick up some uh, Nature's Creation or Medina or Maestro Grow, just one of the good organic fertilizers. Put two, three cups of fertilizer, just kind of scattered around on the ground around each plant, and I think you'll see a big change in how quickly they grow. Yes, sir. I will do that. Thank you, Bob. Have a great day. You do the same. They just don't get any insects. They just don't get any diseases. If they're not growing well and you're watering properly, then they're just hungry. So you feed them, and uh, we'll talk next spring, and I'll bet you you're, you're wishing they weren't growing so fast then. I'm, I'm going to so, uh, spend a day with some has to grow. You, well, has to grow is good, but get some dry stuff because you don't have to use it okay. nearly as often. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. You're welcome, Hank. Thank you, sir. Have a good day. You too. Next in line is Robbie. Good morning, Robbie. Morning, and you're right. That moon was beautiful last night. <laughs> and this morning, I, I saw it going down, and I saw it coming up when I was driving in this morning. So, uh, oh, we just I live just in a beautiful place, night. and I'd, I'd rather yeah. see a big thunderstorm than see that beautiful moonshine. But uh, it's oh, it, it's just been gorgeous out there the past few nights. Yes, I have a question. I called you last week because I, I had the leaves on my on my lawn. We talked uh-huh. about it and, and compost on it, right? I've got some soil activator and molasses and have uh-huh. to grow lawn. I'm curious. I got to, I tried to figure out on the molasses and the soil activator, does the soil need to be wet first and then watered in again or? Doesn't really matter. 
I think with the, with the has to grow lawn, I would want the soil wet first, but with the soil activator and the molasses, makes no difference at all. You can put those products on wet soil or dry soil. Um, the the has to grow lawn is the nutrient. It's the main course. The soil activator is sort of the vitamins, and molasses is sort of the big energy source. So, uh, um, yeah, moisten the soil when you can put out your has to grow lawn, and then, you know, wet it down afterwards. But your soil activator or molasses, you do whatever's convenient for you. The, your, uh, you can use it wet soil or dry soil, either one. Okay, that's what I was like. Oh man, I was going. I was all ready to go out there and do it. It's like I got confused, so I said, "Nope, <laughs> I'm going to call." <laughs> well, I'm glad you called me. All right. Well, I'll let you have a good day. Well, I hope you do too, Robbie. Appreciate the call. Right. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Thank you. <laughs> Certainly. Uh, let's see. Next in line is Sarah. Good morning, Sarah. Good morning, Bob. And yes, tonight is the full moon. It's actually in six hours. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. what what gives me the idea you're going to be out there watching it, I hope. Oh, I love to watch the moon and the sunsets this time of year. You know, they're just phenomenal. And the rises, too. It right. And then they're just... It? Oh, it is. It seems like they're so brief. You know, there's sometimes in the year, mm -hmm. it seems like that sunset stretches out for 20 or 30 minutes this time of year. If you don't look at it, uh, blink three times and it's already gone. But uh, it is. Um, but they're so spectacular. <laughs> amen. They certainly are. Yeah. They certainly are. So, lady, after my own heart, you 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 enjoy nature and uh, you're very observant. It, but that oh, that moon last night and again this morning when I was driving in, it just just doesn't get much prettier than that. It does not. So I'm calling about. I called you a couple of months ago on my black African mask. Right. And uh, yes. <laughs> and I have to tell you, ever since I, I should have put the phone out there, too, and it must just be a sassy plant. When you said they're so hard to grow, I've had like 10 new leaves. The new leaves are almost constant it, and they come double. So it'll put it out and then they'll unfurl. And mm -hmm. then, you know, about three weeks later, I've got another double and then they unfurl. <laughs> well, and, you've got it. You've got it happy. Yeah. It's happy. Now, the stalk is black. The leaves are not black anymore. So, uh, but I, whatever. <laughs> the, I have new ones coming up, Bob, four all around the mm -hmm. bottom of the plant. Can I, can I separate those? I wouldn't What's advise it this thing? time of year, Sarah. You can certainly okay. do that, but and going into this time of year when the days are getting shorter, the light is less intense. Um, it would shock the mother plant and the little pups that you take off would be slow to get started. Now, along about April or so, yeah, go for it. Divide them if you like. Okay. Uh, you should have 100% success. But uh, African mask, of the alocasias, it's one of those ones that's just a little bit more temperamental. Keep in mind that what looks like black foliage to you is actually just an intensely dark purple. And the yeah, green, it is. green green pigment is always there, the purple is always there, but your chlorophyll is such a strong pigment, it's always going to dominate. Chlorophyll is broken down by sunlight, and that's why mm -hmm. to get crotons, to get African masks, to get uh, cordylins, to get most all of our leaves or our plants that have really colorful leaves, we need a good deal of light because the leaves get colorful when the sunlight breaks down the green so that we can the see the anthocyanins. Yeah, so we can see, see the the 
purples and reds and yellows. So mm-hmm. uh, you've, you've done the most important thing. You've gotten your plant healthy and growing vigorously. Now it's a matter of being a little patient and perhaps, if you can, uh, putting it in an area that's a little more sun, absolutely no hot yes. sun, but uh, you know. the, a little more light, it'll be more colorful. Yeah, that's what happened is that in the heat, heat, you know, in the 115-degree July, (laughs) I had to move it. It wasn't in the direct sun, but I had to move it into even less sun. Um, And, and yes, that's what started happening. So maybe for this time of the year when the sun's not so intense, um, I can put it in more sun. Move it out where it gets morning sun, (laughs) but none of that blazing afternoon sun. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much, Bob. You have a wonderful day. And you do the same, Sarah. Appreciate the call. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> Goodbye. All right, time for a little break here. I get to talk to you about Medina Agriculture. And once again, they want to remind you how important fall fertilizing is. And also to remind you that they've got the products that work extremely well. Don't follow the fall for the chemical company gimmick that you have to buy something that says winterizer or something special. Medina products work well 365 days a year for dry granular. I love the growing green. There's going to be a new one out pretty soon, too, from Medina, just a different form of growing green. It's going to be a little higher in nitrogen, but I'll let you know when that comes around. For right now, I just don't think you can beat growing green. 100% certified organic, great for grass and trees and shrubs and ground covers and everything out in that landscape. Now, the has to grow liquid products both the plant and the lawn are also excellent but you do have to use them more often but they're what we use on our potted plants we use it as a root simulator when we're planting new plants uh, it's what I use in my actually in my greenhouse I alternate the Hester Grow plant with their liquid fish blend and boy do I get good results from that combination you can also use uh, their liquid fish alone uh, there's just no way you're really going to go wrong when you're using the natural products produced by Medina Agriculture. They also package grape molasses. They package liquid seaweed, liquid humates, best orange oil in the business. Medina's been around for over 50 years right here in our area. Their products are used worldwide, but I happen to think they work best right here at home where they were developed. If you'd like to see a complete list of everything, simply go to medinaag.com. More importantly, just go to your good local nursery, garden center. Anybody who carries good quality natural products will have products from Medina Agriculture. But remember, they don't do any good while they're sitting there in the bag or bottle. You need to get them out. And now is a very, very important time of year to do so. Remember Medina Agriculture. South Texas Gardening with Bob Webster. News Talk 550 KTSA and FM 1071. All right, back to gardening, and we're going to talk to Gary and John and Mike. Gary is up first. Good morning, Gary. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Off to a good start. It's a beautiful day out there. Yes, sir, it is. Hey, I've been gone for a few weeks, so I'm sure you've answered this question, but uh, something got on my agarita uh, while I was gone, and it looked like a type of webworm, and I was going to see if what I need to do to take care of that. I would just spray with BT. Um, okay. You know, if you're if you're mixing it uh, with concentrate, add a little molasses to it. I'd try to add a little molasses to it in whatever form you're using it. But, yeah, it's weird. Uh, you know, looking around my ranch, you'll see agaritas that look totally normal, and then you'll see these where the whole plant just looks like a big web and the leaves are getting eaten away. 
Um, they're going to come back. I mean, I don't think you can kill Agarita if you try to, but they'll sure look <laughs> a lot nicer if you get rid of them. But uh, it it is a it is a caterpillar. Webworms just uh, you know kind of a common name for a group of them. But uh, if you want to get them uh, under control. Uh, you just mix up your BT. You want to add the equivalent of about a tablespoon per gallon of spray, just of good molasses. Old Barney Grimm that founded the Greenlight Chemical Company many years ago was telling me that uh, they've found that it'll make BT up to 20 times more effective to add a little molasses to it. Okay, I'll try that then. Uh, that's all I had. I appreciate your help. Well, welcome home and uh, go kill some bugs. <laughs> Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. Goodbye. All right. Next in line is John. Good morning, John. Good morning, uh, Bob. Good morning. How are you doing this? I'm good, doing well. I hope you are too. Oh yes, yes. It's turning out to be a good day. Good. Uh, I just had a question. Um, what would you recommend? I'm trying to put some hedges around. Uh, and trash cans due to HOA. Uh-huh. Uh, what would you recommend? Some uh, a a plant that's uh, fast growing that'll withstand. I guess we have well uh, followed by um, the fall. We have winter coming up, so something oh, sure. that will sure. and How? not something too tall enough to to where it'll cover the the trash cans. I don't okay. know, maybe five. about five feet or so. You think? Right. And how much sunlight does this area get, John? Um, I would say it's on it's facing the the uh east, southeast. Mm-hmm. So it, it gets pretty much a, a lot of sunlight. Okay, so not any big trees or anything like that over it. Oh no, and definitely not. Are are deer an issue for you? Are you in an area that has lots of deer or can you keep the deer away from it? I think I can keep the deer away from them. Yeah, okay. the deer, much, yeah, they, they, uh, yeah, they don't come around this area. Okay, very good. Well, there is a really, really hardy plant that is called viburnum, V-I-B-U-R-N-U-M, viburnum suspensum. Uh, it's also called sandanqua. Where on earth it gets that name, I don't know, S-A-N-D-A-N-K-W-A. But sandanqua viburnum or viburnum suspensum, two names for the same plant, uh, grows pretty quickly, super tough and hardy. Once it's established, uh, it's very drought tolerant. If we get a winter as cold as two years ago, it may have a little bit of uh, damage, but most years it's going to be 100% uh, good, and that would be one that will grow about five feet tall. Uh, there's a okay. plant called called Japanese boxwood. Not the not the newer varieties, not the little gem, but your old-fashioned Japanese boxwood. There's some in front of my house that I'm sure is close to 100 years old. I live in a house that's 115 years old, and I think the boxwood have been there for about as long as the house has. So a long-lived, oh, yeah. hardy, um, you'll have to water them to get them established, but once they're established, they're right. extremely resilient. So Japanese boxwood would be another choice. If you want okay. a pretty plant that has some flowers on it all summer long. There's a plant called Abelia, A-B-E-L-I-A. And uh, you want what they call the compact form. Now, it's going to grow about four feet tall, but it should be tall enough to hide the garbage cans, and it's going to give you white white flowers pretty much all through the summer months. Uh, And uh, it it loves the sunlight, so that'll be a, a great choice there. 
those that that's four good plants and i think any of those would be a real good choice for you uh there are others there are other hollies there are other viburnums but uh and you want something that's going to grow relatively quickly and be very, very resistant to problems, uh, those are going to be some of your best. Now, when I when I dig the hole, should it be square or round? Always square. And you've been a good listener to bring that up. Because if you dig a round hole, the roots just want to go round and round and round. They just want to circle and not really get out into the surrounding soil. When you dig an angular hole, like a square hole, they get to a corner. They take off into the surrounding soil, and the plant becomes much better established much more quickly. I see. I see. Okay, good. Okay. All right. Thank you, Bob, for uh, for uh, that uh, information on those uh, certainly, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and uh, uh, see which one uh, will fit uh, my my uh, uh, with my wife's decision. I got to check with her also. <laughs> oh, of course, that uh, it would be a very unwise move to do something without checking with the with the boss, shall we say? So with the boss, and, yes, yeah. And and remember, you will need to water with some regularity. But we're moving into October, November are probably the two best months of the year for planting shrubs like this. So. Uh, you're doing it at a really good time. So you call me anytime you have more questions, Sean. Always here to help you. All right. Sounds great. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure. Thank you. All right. Yeah, let's take one more call. Let's go ahead and talk to Mike. Uh, good morning, Mike. Morning, Bob. How are you doing today? Off to a good start. Sitting here looking at beautiful sunshine. Can't wait to get out in it another hour and a half or so. There you go. Well, let's talk about something hopefully optimistic here. You know, it has been an absolutely terrible year for 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 the yards, for the trees, everything else. Right. What should be our strategy right now for improving the yard, maybe helping it get a little bit better, and then prepping it for the uh, winter and spring to come? Just, the number you know, one. Yeah, so number number one best thing that you could possibly do is put about half an inch of good compost over the yard. I don't know of any one thing that will give you faster and more long-lasting results than, you know, than a half inch of compost. Now, sometime in the next month or two, it would be good to put some fertilizer on. But, but compost, if you want the one thing that's going to work a miracle on it, it's going to be compost. And it's not too hot to put that compost down now, right? You may get, and who knows, these these beautiful, cool mornings have been so wonderful. But in the heat, compost will cause a temporary yellowing. It's not going to kill your grass or anything like that. And my crystal ball has just quit working totally this summer on what the weather is going to do. So I can't really tell you, but I can say typically we are in a pattern where we're going to continue to have cool mornings and the afternoon temperatures are going to drop uh, if the forecast is accurate, which I don't trust, uh, by the end of the week, we're probably going to be av- our uh, daytime highs are going to be 8 to 10 degrees lower than they are now. So I certainly wouldn't hesitate to put compost out. Well, that sounds fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, does it, uh, 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 should we get into a, a pretty good watering regimen now, or is it a little bit too late to do any of that? Well, watering, you know, you're going to ha- are you in San Antonio? Oh yeah, up on the northeast side. Yeah. Well, you've got to follow the drought stage restrictions, oh, so yeah. uh but yes, uh follow those, give your yard a good 
weekly watering. Uh, try to put your compost out at a time when you can uh, follow up with some water afterwards because you want to carry all that goodness down into the into the soil. And some of it's you know going to be trying to turn to gas and go away. But uh, be able to water it after you put your compost out. But no, as we get into the winter, we don't have to water as often. This time of year, we ought to be watering thoroughly about once a week. When it cools down, it can be once every two weeks. Uh, By January, we'll probably be watering about once every three weeks. We're just going to have to watch and see what the weather does. Uh, But for now, no, once a week, thorough, thorough watering and compost application. When you can, put that application to fertilizer. And it doesn't have to say winterizer. In fact, that's a big mistake because that's all synthetic chemical stuff. Just the same good Medina or Nature's Creation or Maestro Grow, uh, general fertilizer like that, any of those are good. Great. Well, I thank you so very much, and I want to wish you a fine day. Well, I will do the same for you, sir, and uh, you enjoy, and you call me when you have more questions. Always here to help you. (laughs) Thanks so much, John. Bye. All right, let's get a break in here, and I'm actually going to talk to you about a couple of good people here. The first of them is Wild Birds Unlimited, and, you know, we're, we're moving into the fall. Wild Birds Unlimited is there to help you help you take good care of your feathered friends out there. They have special blends of seed as we move into the winter months. You know, the grocery stores aren't going to do that. Most people don't even stop to think that birds eat different things in the fall and winter than they do in the hot summer months. Well, Wild Birds Unlimited has special blends depending on the time of year. And if you've got problems with squirrels and things eating your bird seed, well, they've got some of those seeds that are very repellent to the squirrels. If you're tired of white-winged doves, they have uh, seeds that the doves don't like, but your other songbirds do. If you don't like that mess around the bird feeder, they have bird seed mixes that are almost totally free of any waste. Wild Birds Unlimited, they're truly your experts when it comes to everything you need to know about birds. But they are so much more. They, well, they have great sources of water put out in the landscape to benefit the birds and other wildlife. And, of course, they're a great gift shop. They shop, each Wild Birds Unlimited store shops independently for their gift merchandise. And nobody does the job that Kyle and his staff do at our Wild Birds Unlimited here. Located out on Northwest Military in the shopping center right there at the corner of Northwest Military and Hebner, kind of on the side that faces Northwest Military. Not a huge store, but boy, you walk through the door, you're going to be amazed at all the different things you'll find there. And the most important thing they have is knowledge. You have any questions about nature, any questions about birding, they can almost certainly help you there. Kyle and his staff are extremely experienced, plus they're just super, super nice people. I think you'll always enjoy a visit to Wild Birds Unlimited. It's where I do an awful lot of my gift shopping and where I go when I have questions about the birds and birding products. Well, if you're not familiar with Wild Birds Unlimited, you need to become so. And if you have a question, phone number is easier to remember, 479-BIRD. That's 210-479-BIRD, where they'll be happy to help you at Wild Birds Unlimited. Yeah, I'm so stressed. Our business is growing. We've got people all over now. Uma. What is that? Meditation? I'm recommending Uma and their all-in-one phone, video, and collaboration solution. Uma? Yep. Switching to Uma is a cinch. Just $24.95 per month per user, plus taxes and fees. Uma. Now you're feeling it. Visit Uma.com. That's O-O-M-A dot com to learn more. Uma. Smart communications for the smarter business. 
O'Reilly Auto Parts specializes in keeping your car on the road. Not sure how much life is left in your battery? Our professional parts people will test it for free. If it does need to be replaced, we'll help you find just the right one to fit your car. Our superstar batteries are built to handle even the toughest conditions. Visit O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. All right, let's talk for a minute about the Cedar Eater of Texas. And again, company that I know personally, that I've seen so much of their work and have so many friends that have benefited from the services that the Cedar Eater provides. Their original service and still their big, biggest business is getting rid of all that second growth cedar that just chokes their hill country land, keeps the water from getting through to the soil underneath when we do get rainfall, and it cuts off all the lights so our native grasses and wildflowers and things can grow well. No bulldozing, no burning. The Cedar Eater does it with a machine that cuts the cedar off at ground level, grinds it into a nice mulch all in one operation. And of course that kills the cedar effectively and gives you a nice mulch as well. And if your cedar, well like one of my callers earlier was talking about that cedar is so tightly up against uh, the trees they want to save, well they simply send in a hand clearing crew They'll cut the cedar, drag it out in the open. The machine will turn that into mulch as well. They can do acres and acres and acres in a single day. If you're clearing senderas down in South Texas, getting ready for hunting season, unfortunately that brush will grow back. But they can do miles and miles in a single day's time. And, of course, they also have machines that can take care of uh, mesquite, can take care of things that may have died from drought or oak wilt. Uh, Cedar Eater offers you a wide range of services. Two locations, North Texas and South Texas, you access them both through the same phone number, which is 210-745-2743. For the best, that's 210-745-2743 for the Cedar Eater of Texas. All right, well, looks like my next three callers are Annette and Louise and Joe. Annette's at the top of the list. Good morning, Annette. Good morning, Bob. Uh, Good thank morning. Thank you for taking my call. We listen to your show every Sunday morning and Saturday morning. <laughs> well, I appreciate well, that. We probably okay. know already the answers to the question. My husband actually asked me to call you. He is struggling with our grass in the backyard. We live uh-huh. north of Canyon Lake. Okay. Uh, it's very hilly and rocky up here, but the piece of property is kind of flat. We had mm-hmm. topsoil added two years ago, uh, put some compost on it, and we used all the Medina Lawn projects, the garages, the molasses, the, the what do you call that? The, the growing green and, yeah. you know, everything. And the grasses, first we put last year a whole bunch of grass pallets down by mutative grass. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it done fairly well for the beginning couple of months. It turned nice and green, and then, of course, the temperatures hit, and it just started to die down. Well, and we've been tip... working on it. With, yeah. What is that stuff you put on there, that molasses and, and things like that? Uh-huh. It just oh, doesn't tip... seem to help any. You know, now we added one whole big patch, you know, trying to... Let it die and put new nice earth, dirt sure. on it, and put new seeds on it. See if that will work. It no, you don't. Out, but now you, already you, it starts green again. 
Yeah, you you don't need to add more dirt. You you've got done what you need there. How how often are you watering it, and how often do you water for? Well, we we water it mostly with like a soapbox around because we're under restrictions, of course, too. So uh-huh. we we can't water with a sprinkler system, but but once every two weeks. So. Mm-hmm. We take advantage of that, and other than that, we water with a hand sprinkler. We have right. a front yard that is beautiful. The grass, that the same grass, it came out mm-hmm. nice and green and lush. But the backyard given us trouble. We had people come out looking at it. It's like, oh, you have a fungicide, some kind of fungus in there. So they treated for that. Well, that didn't do any good. Is is your backyard shady or is it sunny like your front yard is? It's mostly sunny. Okay. Mostly because... sunny. We do have cedar trees and oak trees, but mm-hmm. but that's just, you know, a little bit, depending on how the sun goes, is a little bit shade in the morning right. and mostly sunny all afternoon. Well, the shade is, is holding it back a little bit, but um, it, this is a time of year that the grass is always going to start looking a little bit more like fall and a little bit less less lush. Uh, Bermuda likes a lot of water and it likes a lot of fertilizer. And you, like you so accurately point out, you're very limited on how much water you can put on. But be sure during that one day a week that you can water that you're putting out at least an inch of water. Uh, If you're watering, you're probably going to have to water each zone uh, for at least an hour to get enough water on it. And then in that middle week, just go out and, and water as best you can with your handheld hose and then water it very thoroughly again on your designated watering day. And your Bermuda's going to look, uh, it's it's always going to look a little bit yellowed in areas that it's not getting as much sun. It's always going to seem a little bit thinner. But as the days cool off and hopefully Mother Nature starts giving us a little bit more rainfall, it should really perk up. Tiff Bermuda is a very, very hardy grass. In my opinion, for the sun, it's one of the best grasses you can possibly put out. But it's just been hard to keep enough water on it this summer. And uh, uh, everybody I know is, is like you. They're struggling a little bit to keep it looking nice. But with the days getting cooler, with the days getting shorter, uh, that water's going to go a lot further. And uh, Bermuda normally does not get many fungus diseases. Uh, we see more fungus in St. Augustine, but I think with you, it's just it, it's just a matter of it's not getting quite as much water as it really wants. But as it cools off, um, it, it should start looking better. I I wouldn't suggest any drastic action. I certainly wouldn't go get any more topsoil or anything like that. That's going to just bring in weeds. Uh, If it's been 30 days or 40, actually, if it's been 60 days since you put fertilizer out, I get some more of that growing green and put it out. But um, the the weather's just worked against us. Very few people have really pretty yards if they're following the watering restrictions like they're supposed to. Most of the really green yards you see are either people that are watering with rainwater that, you know, have their own water they can use any time they want. 
or they're not following right. the drought rules carefully. So um, I, I think you're just yeah. looking at what most Bermuda yards are doing, and I wouldn't panic over it. I think it's going to be a lot better this fall. should be beautiful again next spring. But a um, little bit of fertilizer, mm-hmm. watering regularly, um, you should be in good shape. I'm not hearing any big problems here, Louis, or Annette, and I, I certainly don't think you need to be putting any fungicide out. doesn't sound like any kind of fungus problem. Yeah, no, I didn't think so either. But you know, sometimes these so-called professionals they think they help to sell you. Oh, that. they want—they want to sell you stuff. <laughs> yeah, but we've yeah. been doing yard work for so long and always had nice green-looking grasses. My husband is very particular about his grass, the right cut. Well, you know, he and and so should we in in springtime add a little compost on the oh, top? Yeah. Compost would be good any time, fall or spring. But uh, this has just been a, yeah, this has been a bad stretch of weather. We had a couple of very cold winters. Then we had severe drought set in. And then we've had just that intense, intense heat this summer. And uh, it's been hard on animals, been hard on plants, too. So, um, I yeah. if if your front yard's looking good, you're way ahead of most people. So I'm not seeing anything particular that you really need to do. But later this fall, some fertilizer, some compost will be really good for it. Okay, that sounds good. I have one more quick question. I also yes, have a whole bunch of rows of Sharon on the side of mm-hmm. the house because yes. the side of the house doesn't have any windows or anything, and it they really came up. We put them in two years ago. Uh-huh. As little ones, and they are like six foot tall. <laughs> That's they good. I worked for the last two summers really greatly, but this summer again, it, late summer, they started to really look bad. Mm-hmm. Like there is some black stuff on them, and I thought it was aphids, but it was not. I don't know if it was aphids. It looked like little tiny ants crawling up well, and down the stem, and the leaves, they just. The flowers, the flower buds, they just started to fall off and didn't yep. even turn into flowers. You probably have some mealybugs on there. There is a safe, non-toxic spray, which is called Spinosad, S-P-I-N-O-S-A-D, Spinosad Soap. And normally, right. Rose of Sharon, Althea, whatever name you want to use, uh, they just don't get any bugs. But this summer, we are seeing them on. There's a combination of all the heat and uh uh, a lot of the things that would naturally be controlling them just, you know, aren't out there. So I would spray them morning or evening. I'd spray them with this product called Spinosad Soap. Don't worry too much. The uh, Rose of Sharon are going to drop all their leaves this winter anyway. They should come out right. beautifully next spring, and hopefully we'll get some good rains between now and then. That would be great. Okay, I think that answers everything we have for right now. Oh, well, one more thing, one more thing. We planted a Leland cypress uh-huh. in the site because we have all these native cedar trees right here. So, you know, we needed uh-huh. something by the fence. And it was doing good for like 10 months. And now it looks like it's just dead. The leaves dried up. Yeah. The stems, you can break them off and they brown. You can test at the bottom the stem. There's nothing green anymore. We watered it. I hand watered it once a week. Did I water it too much? Does it? No, have like I don't. Stuff? I don't think so. Leyland cypress is susceptible to a number of different problems. One of the worst things they get are some different mite issues. They also get a disease called Diplodia. 
Um, that's that's not a plant I would recommend to you, and it just got really set back with the, you know, getting a little bit on the dry side, the super, super hot, the low humidity, windy days. It may come out from the base, continue to water it about once a week or so, uh, put a little Super Thrive on it. If you have any of that product, it's uh, it really yeah, helps with plants that are yeah. Use it that. Doesn't but... look like it would do anything anymore. It just looks dead. I mean, I'm about to pull it out just for well, a Don't don't plant Is another Leyland Cypress. Can recommend for our part of the hill country here that would do well in rather rocky soil. Oh yeah, there are lots of things. Evergreen sumac is a beautiful native plant. Uh, many of the hollies, especially the yopons like this variety called Pride of Houston, uh, they do very well. The beautiful plant they call Sinisa with its gray leaves and purple flowers, uh, it should do well. There are forms that grow very tall and other forms that stay very short. Um, the abelia that I was telling another person about, uh, you might want the bigger form instead of the lo lower ones, but abelia. What are you looking for? We're looking for a large uh, filling evergreen tree, something that, you know, in case somebody builds next to us on sure. the empty lot, you sure. know, that uh, it could start covering already a bit. Sure. Well, mountain laurel is also a good choice. Mountain laurels, if you take care of them, they actually grow fairly quickly. They're evergreen. They're native. Uh, I've got some in my front yard that I haven't watered them in five years, and they're still absolutely beautiful. And they give a nice, you know, big evergreen barrier. So mountain laurels would be another good choice. Mountain laurels and evergreen sumac are two, two of the best that are going to grow okay. moderately quickly but should live for 100 years for you. Well, wonderful. That will do it for this time, Bob. As usual, we love listening to you. Thank well, you for your great your, advice. I will talk to my husband about his grass. And you call me back if you have more questions. I love visiting with you, and I appreciate it. Sure will. Thank you thank, so much. Thank you. All right, let's uh, finish up the commercials on the show today, talking about Fanix Nursery and Garden Center. And, uh, oh, Fanix is, of course, one of the biggest and best nurseries you're going to find around probably the oldest nursery in san antonio having been there about 85 years now fanix wants to remind you that the uh, cps energy folks have started their green shade rebate program again you can go online and learn a little bit more about that but it's a program where if you plant uh, a good shade tree and there are lots and lots to choose from uh, cps energy will give you up to fifty dollars credit per tree up to i think the maximum is like 14 trees that makes the tree itself just virtually free of charge and fanix is well well stocked on those good shade trees that qualify for the cps energy green shade rebate of course they also have all the fall vegetables we keep talking about they're starting to get their fall flowers in all of those perennials that qualify for the saws uh, water saver rebate program Phoenix is stocked up pretty well on those products as well i could go on and on the compost bag compost the mulches the organic fertilizers when you got 10 acres of nursery you have room to have lots and lots of different things they have the best selection of figs anywhere in the area and i could just go on and on they are also now selling the traeger pellet grills and all the accessories for those 
and we're certainly into a great season for outdoor grilling. Uh, I think you probably know that. Plus, they have that Eco lithium-ion battery-powered equipment. I love the lithium-ion battery-powered equipment because it's so quiet. If you're like me, you need to do some of the work on these days when it's cool in the morning, but you don't want to disturb the neighbors. Well, you check out that Eco equipment. Powerful, efficient, and very, very quiet. Fanix just gives you lots of reasons to come see them. Open seven days a week over on Home Green, where they've been for over 80 years. And always happy to see you. If you want to check out their website, it's Fanic, F-A-N-I-C-K, FanicNursery.com. Don, I love that. We'll have to maybe use that one again next week when we can spend a little bit more time listening to it. But uh, right now, let's try to get a couple more phone calls in here. And that'd be Louise and Joe. And Louise is up first. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, I have some water, some old water troughs that I would like to convert planters. Uh-huh. But I really don't want to have to buy potting soil to fill the whole tub. What would you suggest I could put in the bottom as kind of a filler? Um, I guess just topsoil or something. I'm not a big fan of rock or other things because the more soil you have, the more roots you have. The more roots you have, the better the plants are going to be. So I would, uh, I'd rather see you use a lower quality soil, like just garden soil instead of potting soil. Use a lower quality soil, but go ahead and fill them all the way. And you can build that soil gradually. You can add some compost to it and everything. But other than just a thin layer of gravel on the bottom, you need to have plenty of good soil to have the roots. But just go for a less expensive soil, but go ahead and fill it. And uh, that would be my suggestion there. 